Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinter Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. It is our annual Top 10 Films of the Year episode. Very excited about this one. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Every year, we like to count down our Top 10 Films of the Year. This year, 2018 is the year we'll be counting down. Uh, after we count down our top 10, we'll also be going through some special categories uh, that we'll discuss when we get there. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the main event for this episode. Uh, one of my favorite episodes to do because it's a time to pause, to reflect on all that's occurred. Uh, and why don't we just take a moment to do that right now before uh, before we get started? What did you guys? We're think? already in. We're already in 2019, Dave. Yeah, it's, I guess <laughs> it's, it's, too uh, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. You can't. There's no pausing. There's no reflecting. We're full steam ahead in 2019. Woo! What did you fellas think of this year overall? I thought it was a great year for movies. Uh, I, I think you can tell. Good how year for great movies. Year bad was. year for most other things. <laughs> yeah, I would say. yes. Yeah. Uh, you can yes. you can tell how good the movie uh, uh, the the movies were this year by how difficult it was to make the top ten list. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Every year, yeah. And this year it was especially difficult. In fact, like hours before this episode was recording, I was agonizing over my number one and number two movies of the year, um, <laughs> and like kept switching them back and forth, like being like, "Should it be this? Should it be this?" Um, I think I finally settled on it, but it, it was very close. Uh, and, I don't, yeah, I don't know how you guys do your top ten list, but I just. Write down just uh, an open list of all the movies that I loved over the year. Yeah. And then I kind of start whittling down and moving things around and figuring out the ordering and all that, what's in and what's out. And this year I had 18 movies that all felt like they belonged in my top 10. Same. And yeah, that's yeah. rough, man. That means eight movies got out, got whittled away. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's brutal, you know. That's not that's not an easy process. It's really more like a top twenty this year. I felt like most yeah. of my honorable mentions, I feel like, could easily be in my top ten, depending yes. on my mood or something. Yeah, so totally agree. I, I, I do need to point out that this year we are going to do something in terms of the format of this episode that we've never done before in the history of this podcast, which is all three of us did not yeah. know what the other people's choices were going into this episode. This is groundbreaking radio. We have never, <laughs> never been done before. We have never done this. And uh, like in, last year, for instance, we all shared in advance. And not only do we share in advance, uh, but we actually like wait. If, if, if a choice showed up later on a list, we waited to talk about it. Uh, and we got a lot of uh, strong feedback about that. I mean, a lot of people like that. But also some people said that uh, it's very hard to keep track of the numbers by the end, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so this There's year. No drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This year basically. there's going to be drama because we don't know what each other's choices were, uh, and so we're going to be discovering each other's lists together, uh, which we've never done. So I'm I'm very curious to see how this is going to go. Um, I'm sure people will share their feedback at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com uh, for this week's episode. But um, hopefully you will enjoy this updated format. Uh, I think you know, I, I'm actually really looking forward to it because I I don't know what you guys like. Very curious, yeah. you guys put shows for number one. I honestly have no idea what your number ones could be. So, also, uh-huh. you know, it, it bears repeating the disclaimer that should go without saying, but 
usually <laughs> needs to be said, which is say it. We we didn't see everything. Yep. We didn't even see everything that the other people present saw. Correct. Yeah. So uh, sometimes that can that can I mean that's unfortunate. That's hard. It, there's a billion D movies that come out in a year. Can't possibly see them all. There's even movies that. I wish that I feel like probably would have been contenders for my list that I didn't get a chance to see. So uh, that's hard. And I feel like there's movies that you guys are going to have on your list that I just didn't get a chance to actually see. So, uh, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer. But it doesn't help that a whole bunch of like good movies and uh, like launch in the holiday season when everyone's too busy to like run out to the theater. So not great. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's also also worth saying that we are not uh, full time professional film critics, uh, and therefore the number of movies we see here is actually relatively small. I know some people see upwards of three hundred movies per year, right? Uh, and we just don't actual see actual critics, yeah, like yeah, real people. We just yeah. don't see that many movies. Um, I probably see between I want to say like sixty and ninety movies per year. You know what I mean? Like. Something in that range. Uh, so, if there is a uh, movie that doesn't make you know the list, and it's, it's there's a huge possibility it's because we didn't see it. We'll talk about which movies we didn't see uh, after we list our top ten. Uh, I also like something that Matt Zolosites recently said uh, on Twitter. He was talking about how whenever he tweets a, a list of some kind, he will always get responses in the range. You know that sounds something like, uh, "What? No love for blank." And his response is, maybe I had a ton of love for blank. Maybe I just had one molecule less love for blank than the number 10 choice on my list. Right? Yeah. yeah um, so you just you just don't know. Like, it, just because it's not on our top 10 list doesn't mean we didn't appreciate the film, right? It's, it's, uh, these are just the movies that we, like, whittled down, as Jeff said, after intense uh, soul-searching and thought and deliberation. Uh, and so that's what we got this year. I have to uh, say, "Love for Blank" is a great title for a movie. Indeed, indeed. Um, <laughs> so, any other thoughts on this year in cinema? I did write a uh, list of five box office lessons to take away from 2018, which I'd recommend mm. you check out at slashfilm.com. Um, but when you think on the year, there were there were a lot of really impressive uh, milestones uh, this year. You know, this year was a uh, a great year for. Uh, diverse casts and diverse filmmakers. You had movies like Black Panther coming out, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, setting records in terms of how much money they made in their respective categories. Uh, And there was a lot of uh, musical films coming out this year. Bohemian Rhapsody made a crap ton of money worldwide. You got A Star is Born uh, doing really successful and becoming a frontrunner in the Oscar race. A uh, lot of uh, notable Mary moments. Poppins. Yeah, Mary Poppins another Returns, another musical. another movie yeah. that came out this year. So a uh, lot of uh, notable kind of trends, notable moments. Uh, and I think like uh, movies continue to be a really significant pop cultural force. You know, in, in the bubbles that we exist in, there's always tons of memes. There's tons of uh, uh, defining moments that get passed on and, and remixed um, Thanos' snap, that's one that comes to mind, you know? Sure. Uh, and so I felt like movies this year uh, remained relevant in the pop culture landscape, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I would also point out that uh, the way we watch movies, I think, had a bigger shift this year, even theatrically, just if you stay in the realm of going out to theaters with a movie pass and AMC Stubbs A-List, uh, mm-hmm. the service that won't speak its name uh, on this podcast, 
that I think really hit the mainstream this year. It there was some turbulence as as far as uh, the business model goes, but it really feels like some form of that is here to stay and is shaking up how people consume movies at the theater and how you pay for films like that. And I think that's a, an exciting development as a theater goer. Yeah, I agree. I think like the subscription model uh, may grow in popularity as time goes on. We'll see. I think 2019 is going to be a real testing ground because if I'm, to, if I'm going to make some predictions of 2019, right, uh, I think MoviePass will finally go out of business for real. Uh, I think it's still the shambling corpse of MoviePass is still around, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's still a thing. Um, they launched some new project, right? There are some new movies coming, Bruce Willis movies, I think. Something so, like yeah. that, sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think A List uh, will continue to grow, and and we'll start to see AMC's pricing for A List stabilize. Uh, mm-hmm. Is my guess. And all the other branches, I think, are all the other cinema chains are doing going to be doing something yeah. similar. You know? uh, we're going to see the launch probably of Alamo's uh, season pass. I think it's called. Uh, oh, or something like that, and that, that's yeah. going to become a big thing. Uh, we'll see if Regal is going to get into the game as well. But I, I think, yeah, next year is going to be a really big deciding year for how well these subscription services do. So uh, that's just one small prediction for 2019. Um, but, yeah, overall, 2018, I thought a great year for movies, big and small. You know, This is one of the years of movies that um, I feel really good about having experienced. So some years we get to the end, we're like, oof. It is it is hard to choose a top ten, not because there's too many movies, but because there's not that many that we actually enjoyed. Um, this was not one of those years at all. So, and having not seen either of your lists, I'm going to predict that there's a lot of divergence. I'm going <laughs> to I'm sure there are movies that overlap, but I I suspect that we'll have uh, a, a broad number of total films across our thirty picks. I hope I hope so. I remember uh, when. We all chose Mad Max Fury Road as our number one one year. Yeah. Um, How could you not? I don't yeah, think you know, that's going to happen this year. I think we're all going to have different <laughs> movies as our number one this year is my guess. I, so. I, I picked Mad Max Fury Road again this year. <laughs> I mean, that's, that a, cool? that's a reasonable point yeah. of view. Um, the real question is where's Aquaman on your top ten? Yes. That's <laughs> I all think I that is have. a real question that's going to make me question the credibility of your lists. Um, so <laughs> – uh, and finally, before we get to our top tens, uh, I want to give a few shout outs to uh, people uh, as we wrap up the year or start the next one. Uh, I wanted to just thank everyone who has been a guest on the show. We've had so many amazing guests this year, uh, from Ryan Johnson to Joseph Kahn. Uh, huge range in terms of uh, the style of guest as well as style of filmmaking there. I um, want to thank Christy Puchko, who was a regular contributor for uh, about half of, uh, of the year. We look forward to welcoming her back as an uh, occasional guest in 2019. Um, but we are just very grateful when anyone devotes their time to uh, appearing on the show. And uh, so I wanted to thank all the people who, who did that in 2018. And uh, I, I think 2019 will also be a really good year in terms of the kinds of guests we're going to uh, get voices on the show that I, I, we haven't heard before, and I, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, just wanted to give a shout-out to all the people who were on the Slash Filmcast 2018. Um, other people I want to give a shout-out to. I want to give a shout-out to a woman named Beatty Zhang, uh, who has recently taken over editing duties for uh, the podcast. Uh, and uh, a few months ago, I put out a call for editors for the show because... 
even though I am, uh, I, I'm just going to say it. I'm pretty good at editing the show. You know, um, if I do, if I can do my own horn. No, I mean, I, I, like the editing is is completely acceptable in my opinion uh, when I do it. Uh, but one thing that I that I can do is edit the show extremely quickly. Like often we'll record. And within 45 minutes, I'll have published the episode, which goes to show you how much quality goes into that editing, guys. <laughs> how much care. Uh, how much care <laughs> and deliberation goes to the editing. You literally can't listen to the whole episode in the time it takes you to edit it. That's right. That's, so you that's know correct. that he has poured over every second it, it, to ensure <laughs> its quality. It, I mean, if you knew the facts, you could literally accuse me of editing malpractice. Um, <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I, I, I have someone to help me uh, now, and she has made my life 20% more sane, uh, and I'm extremely grateful for all of her work. Um, she's been editing the last couple months of episodes so if you thought to yourself man the editing is pretty tight now on the show uh that's because i'm no longer doing it uh Beatty's doing it and so i want to give her a shout out if you are interested in her uh audio production help you can find her on twitter at twitter.com slash Beatty lemon that's b-e-i-d-i-l-e-m-o-n um really grateful for her work on the show this year dave the the only bit that you left out is how delightful a human being she also happens to be. Not only a consummate professional and a very highly skilled craftsperson, but just a, a wonderful yeah. woman. And, just a uh, delightful person, yeah. Yes. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, really grateful to have her aboard and, uh, and helping out. And it's really it, – it's been such a massive difference in my life. To just finish the recording session, hand off the file, and then not need to think about the podcast for the rest of the week. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. Um, and finally, I wanted to give a shout-out to all of you, our listeners and our fans, for continuing to listen to the show and for continuing to recommend the show to friends, uh, for continuing to just uh, review us on iTunes, for continuing to talk about the show, uh, giving us your feedback at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Uh, we really appreciate it that you stuck with us for yet another year, uh, and so thank you all very much. Um, and Dave, yes, what episode number is this? Mm, today is Slash Filmcast episode four hundred ninety nine. Four hundred ninety nine. That seems like a significant number in a lot of ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, or close to a significant number. It is one number over four hundred ninety eight. That's yes, correct. that's exactly what I was referring that's to. That's what was on your mind, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but in all seriousness, our 500th episode will be here shortly, and we'll have a, a little special something planned for that episode. So look forward to that. Um, but I also wanted to thank all the people who donated to the show this year. Uh, it's really made a uh, big difference. We got one guy on the show having a second kid, one guy on the show having a first kid, another guy on the show getting married this year. Big milestones and uh, having your support financially uh, has just been a big help to us. Um, and so I want to give a shout out to the people who donated in the last couple of weeks. Thanks to new subscribers Eduardo Pellerin, David Gauthier, Dino Serifovich, Serifovich, Kristen Turnack, Dan Kleinberg, Alton Marshall, and Jeff Kaplan. Thanks for contributing at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks also to the following people for making just one-time donations. Todd James Hampton, Sam in Brooklyn, New York, John in Orangevale, California, uh, Gary Taylor, Nicholas Gardner, Caitlin McFerrin, Tyler Vance, Connor from Chicago, Illinois, George Vlahos from Lake Zurich, Illinois. Uh, Thank you so much for your contributions. If you want to donate to us, go to slashfilm.com. 
Use the slash filmcast tab and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast to make a one-time donation. Uh, we never want you to donate if it is in any way a hardship for you or makes your life more difficult. But if you can spare some money, uh, we'd really appreciate it. And you can also always just uh, support us for free by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are sold. Now, I want to also mention that uh, one of the people who donated, Gary Taylor, did send in a limerick with his donation that I now feel compelled to read out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is the limerick. Because this is a, I should point out, this is something that Jeff Kanata has enforced, right? This is your thing that you're doing, right, Jeff? Uh, no, I, I believe you have mandated that our show uh, is now a limerick show. Mm. And I am just trying to escape your fiery wrath. I, I do have a question, Jeff. Did you do limericks for every one of your top ten tonight? <laughs> you know what? I started doing that, and I went, if there's something that would kill the limericks dead, it would be that. <laughs> yeah. It, so you, that would be – I literally was like, I can't do ten limericks. The, the audience will turn on me. <laughs> it will go from being this charming little thing that Jeff does to – just make him leave the show. Uh, and so I thought mm. uh, I will spare the audience from 10 limericks, but I really – I started. That is started. that is fascinating uh, that you actually have limits, Jeff. I did not know that. that that's <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And uh, it's, it's, it's good that you, you killed the limericks to save them. You, know? you, I you also, killed the limericks to save them. You know, it's so funny that you bring this up because I had I had the, a whole thing in my head of like, well, what what could I what I could do? The whole <laughs> top ten do, in a in a long long limerick. I could something. do it all. Yeah, I could do a long limerick that just uh, is continuing. No, no, no. What I thought was, <laughs> we could do the whole episode, and then at the end, I would be like, oh, also, guys, I did ten limericks. <laughs> And if anybody doesn't want to listen to these, you could just skip forward. And then I would, like, protect the show a little mm. bit, and I would still have done the Tem Limericks. But then I thought, no, that ruins everything. Well, I think you made the right choice. Uh, let me just ask you this, Jeff, before we begin. Is also, did you, did you save any of the Limericks that you started? Because maybe we could just have the one or two, you know? I don't know, Dave. Maybe just keep listening to the show and find out. All right, we'll find out. Okay, so here is a Limerick to start us off. So this is a Limerick from Gary Taylor. Uh, who writes in, Jeff crafts us weekly his limericks canada. Devendra protests, but Dave says, you gotta. Long may they linger in my memory like the chinger and the antics of bluff persona non grata. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> I, mean, I think the, that's pretty good. I think, I think canada, gotta, and persona non grata rhyme is a pretty solid yeah. rhyme. Right? I like that. Gets there. Chinger is good. Yeah. I'm not sure, not sure about the Chinger, but I guess so. I guess so. For those who don't know, yeah. Chinger is when Devendra accidentally misspoke once and called a chicken finger a Chinger. Which oh. it should be called. It should just be called a Chinger. It yeah. should be called a Chinger. I didn't get the reference. That's amazing. No, that's, <laughs> I, I fully endorse the limerick now. What, what did you think it was, Jeff? I thought he was uh, making some reference to I don't know something that mm. I, I didn't I didn't catch it I didn't yeah. catch the I thought he was being silly. This is like when you <laughs> I listened to our Aquaman episode again from last week and you actually thought Anthony Kerrigan was an Aquaman <laughs> and he <laughs> hey, wasn't. People, <laughs> I can't believe I let you almost like, get away with that on the podcast. Somebody on Twitter was like, I had the same thought, Jeff. I had to go to IMDb. I think IMDb is lying. So I have people backing me up on that. Whoever that guy is, look very much reminiscent of. I stand. I stand by it. Okay. I think there's a 
deep state conspiracy about that. It's got to be. All right. All right. Well, thanks <laughs> to all the people who donated. Thanks to Gary for that delightful limerick. Um, I think that's going to wrap up our preamble here and bring us into the top 10 films of 2018. Jeffrey Kanata, let's start with you. What is your number 10 film of 2018? Well, Dave. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> my, my, my number 10 film is Roma. Uh, I loved Roma. We just reviewed it recently. Uh, I find it to be a beautiful film that spoke to me. Uh, it meant a lot in my household, as anybody who listened to our episode about that uh, can attest. A um, uh, woman who does childcare for us um, made it really recontextualized the film for me. But I, my experience of watching it was uh, a haunting one, a uh, a powerful one. I think it's beautiful and I think it's poetic. And it is the, uh, my it, it makes my top 10, no doubt, Roma. Right. Great choice. Roma is Jeff's top 10, uh, number 10 of 2018. Uh, love that movie. Devinder Hardware, what is your number 10 film of 2018? My number 10 is Chloe Zhao's The Writer. Look up for me, brother. Grab your reins. All right, wheel them around to the left. All right, now to the right. All right, go ahead, stop him. Back him up. You're on, you're on big old Gus again. Open across there. Remember that wind on your face? Through the badlands, chasing them cows out of the trees. And this movie is just so unique. I can't quite think of a way to describe it because it's sort of like it is basically a Western. It's a modern day Western, except it's also like partially kind of real because it's a it's about um, a former cowboy who's had a major head injury and is trying to get back into that business. Uh, the movie, you know, fictionalizes certain things, but I think that balance of what's real and what's really dramatic, I think works very well. It's a beautiful film and, uh, ultimately it just feels so authentic. Um, most of the actors, I think pretty much all the actors, right. Are just real people, um, you know, playing these particular roles, but, it stars Brady Jandro. His father is in it, playing a fatherly role. Um, it's a remarkable movie. I haven't been able to get it out of my head. Uh, there are sequences in it that are so simple but so beautiful um, that I, I honestly, I'm astounded like how they even captured some of those things. There's one point where he's just like reining in a wild horse, and the way the camera follows him and the horse through that whole scene is unforgettable. So love this movie. Definitely worth being on my top ten. Uh, that is one of the movies that I have yet to see this year. I really want to see oh, it. Oh, I haven't had a chance kills to me. It kills me that you have not seen that movie, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, all right. Well, great choice for a number 10. Love that movie as well, Devendra. Uh, my number 10 is Eighth Grade. Uh, have any of you seen Eighth Grade? Uh, I, did. I just saw it. You just saw yeah. it. Okay. I'm guessing you were catching up to see if like it would make your top yeah. 10. Yes, yeah. So, I have. It, it is a nightmare. It is a <laughs> horror movie, you know? I, so, eighth grade is Bo Burnham's story about a girl trying to get through the final days of her eighth grade year. Um, I found the movie to be heartbreaking yet hopeful. Uh, it's about a lot of things. It's about the pain of adolescence and the struggle of being a parent 
to an adolescent during a, a very challenging time in, in their life. Uh, I, I think what is fascinating to me about movies like Eighth Grade is um, – when when we were teenagers, I don't know about you guys, but like I had a lot of disagreements with my parents oh, yeah. when I was a teenager, right? Like there would be like screaming matches and at times you'd like hate them and so on. And then you get older and, you know, most of my friends have children now and you realize what a tremendous sacrifice it is to have a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And And like how much it dominates your life, like how much parents dedicate their entire lives just to taking care of children. And... You you realize that oh like they're gonna eventually become like the way I was when I was like screaming obscenities at my parents you know like you realize that like one day they may grow into this phase uh, yeah. when things aren't super good uh, and I just think it's fascinating when uh, like that a movie like this brings that to life that like as children get older they start to resist uh, the authority of their parents in ways that uh, can be very painful um, and. Uh, for for those reasons, for for reasons that like it brings this thing to light, I think it's worth checking out. But Devendra, as a new father watching this movie, I'm curious, like, what is your reaction? Are you like, uh, yeah. I never want my child to grow up past the current age she's at right now? I think pretty much every every parent would kind of want to avoid the crazy teenage years, maybe. Um, but it's a horror movie to me in several respects. Uh, I am, <laughs> yeah, not looking forward to that in a, in a, you know a decade or so. Um, but also like it is, I think, a good reflection of just like the horrors of middle school and how it is to be like the weird, awkward one. Uh, I found myself identifying quite a bit with the main character because I was definitely, um, you know, a, a little bit different than everybody else uh, on multiple levels. Uh, I'm so glad that, you know, this movie also shows things like social media and how you can use, you know, a video channel to kind of express yourself in a way um, things that weren't didn't exist when we were in high school. Yeah. So I found that bit kind of fascinating too. I was using the internet, but just like hard coding text into HTML web pages back yeah. then. Not nearly as cool. You're like using ICQ, you know, and, uh, Oh, ICQ. Uh, I remember uh, my alt. number news groups, right? <laughs> Online news groups, and news stuff. groups. Yeah. yeah. AOL message boards. Awesome. Well, I do... guys, I have, <clears throat> I have a list that I made of <clears throat> no fewer than seven, movies that i wanted to see before we did this and i only got through two of them nice um and eighth grade is on that list and it's killing me that you guys are putting all these movies on that i <laughs> really tried to tried to see before we recorded this episode but did jeff's list of regret yeah usually it there's bigger divergence in the lower parts of the list i think right there's it's usually like a because choices five through ten you can usually take more chances with those from what i've seen sure. in the past so uh i also want to just point out that elsie fisher one of the breakout performances of the year. She plays the protagonist in the film, and uh, she just captures that perfor- that character so beautifully and awkwardly. Uh, it's one of the best performances of the year, in my opinion. So, uh, Elsie Fisher, amazing in eighth grade. Eighth grade, written and directed by Bo Burnham, is an excellent film. Um, worth watching, worth reminding yourself what kids are going through these days. It's, it's a really nice time capsule, haha, which is something that mm-hmm. plays into the film itself. Um, it's a really nice time capsule of like what uh, adolescents, uh, you know, like the teenagers are going through at this moment in time. Um, and I think, you know, decades from now, it'll, it'll be very dated, but we'll look back and I, I think it'll be like a, a nice way of capturing this yeah. moment in time. So I also think it's a nice rail against like the too cool culture which I know a lot of movies about outcasts tend to do, but the specific way of doing it today and the way, I don't know, two cool kids feel today, 
uh, it's super annoying. And this movie portrays that frustration and like, I, I think fights back against it in a nice way. Yeah, uh, indeed. All right. That's my number 10, eighth grade. Let's move on to our number nine choices. Jeff Kanata, what is your number nine film of 2018? My number nine is The Favorite. Another film that we reviewed very recently. Uh, I love the use of language in this film. I love the performances in this film. I love how deliciously uh, backbiting and vicious this film can be. It's uh, it's it's a delicious. I think that's the word for it. It's the <laughs> delicious experience. Just sort of watching these people connive and uh, and uh, <laughs> attack each other uh, with great script writing and and great dialogue uh the favorite was one of my favorites of 2018 great choice for uh your number nine loved that movie um and yorgos lanthimos's most accessible work i think um Mm -hmm. so highly recommend the favorite as well devinder hardor what is your number nine my number nine is spider-man into the spider-verse Oh, okay, relax your fingers. We don't have time. Just just let go. Be in the moment. I am in the moment. It's a terrible moment. Miles, you gotta unstick. What do you do to relax? Relax. Needless to say, I... Oh, for crying out loud. Calling it Chris now, baby, I'm aware. Teenagers, just the worst. And we gushed all over this movie when it came out. Uh, I will just continue to gush. I have not been able to go back to the theater and see it, but I've just been itching to. And I think for me, that's the best sign of a movie of one like I just I cannot wait to rewatch it. Um, it's a beautiful movie, a wonderful Spider-Man story, a great way to like make the mythology more inclusive and also comics fandom more inclusive. But, uh, you know, as a fan of animation, too, I'm just amazed at everything it manages to do bringing characters from different styles. Um, it's It just does everything right. It is pretty much a perfect Spider-Man movie in my mind and definitely one of the two best superhero movies I saw this year. Mm. I want, I'm curious what that second one was, Devendra. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I wasn't as big of a fan of Aquaman as you were. Um, but, uh, oh, I my... forgot. Well, mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that I know. too. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's Aquaman. I think I know what uh. it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, my number Venom. nine... <laughs> Venom, yeah, Venom is in there. Um, my number nine is Paddington Two. Jeff, have you seen Paddington Two yet? So I told you there was a list of seven films mm. that I wanted to see. <laughs> no, no, no. Paddington Two was one of the ones that I managed to see. So I, yay, uh, yay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, yes. thir- I, it is a delight. It, it is. Uh, it did not make my top ten, but it is uh, a delightful film that has so much heart, so much whimsy. I'm a big fan of whimsy. It, uh, yes, I, I thoroughly endorse this making your your number nine pick. This film is a delight. It's like a perfect family film with a positive message about doing good in the world and having a great attitude. The production design is whimsical. The camera feels alive for virtually every scene. Uh, it's one of those films where every side plot pays off. Every character gets their own chance to shine. Hugh I think Grant delivers of... an Oscar-worthy performance, I'd say. Who, who delivers an Oscar-worthy performance? Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. amazing. He's awesome. He's amazing. It. Yeah. It's, it's a star turn for him. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. And even though it didn't do super well at the box office, I'm trying to give it its due by putting it at number nine on my list. So Paddington 2 is my number nine film of 2018. Let's move on to number eight. 
Jeff Kanata, what's your number eight film of the year? My number eight is Blind Spotting. I was totally surprised by this movie. Uh, it, it is a celebration, again, of language. I'm a big fan of movies that use language. Uh, it uses rap as this a movie that uses rap in its climax as a way of attacking someone with a gun <laughs> instead of a gun, you know, attacking someone instead of a gun by using sweet, sick raps uh, shouldn't work. <laughs> On paper, that should not work, and this movie makes it work. Uh, it, it, it made me feel for these characters. It gave me an insight into uh, experiences that aren't my own. I I loved it. I thought it was a phenomenal film, and I hope more people go see Blind Spotting. That's Blind Spotting, Jeff's number eight choice. Uh, yeah, Blind Spotting is a remarkable film that I would recommend to anyone. There's mm-hmm. nothing else like it, right, on any of our lists, I would argue, uh, that is so searing, but also so interesting in its form as well, right? Because of and uh, funny, yeah, and funny. The use of rap, as you were saying, like is really shapes this movie in. Uh, daring ways, and I, I think it's one of the most interesting movies of the year. Uh, didn't quite make my top ten, but I'm a big fan of it, and uh, s- salute you putting it as your number eight on your list. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, what is your number eight film of 2018? My number eight is Widows. Who would have thought that Steve McQueen would have like teamed up with uh, Gillian Flynn to do a heist movie? Like it just all those things combined just doesn't seem to work for me. Uh, but I've been excited about the film since I first heard of it, uh, since we heard about the cast uh, featuring a whole, you know great group of tough women, too. Um, I loved heist movies. I've been waiting for somebody to kind of do heat, but kind of surpass heat, or at least do it differently. And I think this movie comes the closest. Uh, there's just so much going on. And, of course, it's also more than just like a, a heist movie. I think it also says quite a bit about uh, modern-day Chicago race relations, um, the way a city is kind of separated, um, even when, you know, two groups of people may live a couple blocks apart. Uh, it just dives into so much, but mostly it's a kick-ass heist movie and has some tremendous performances. Completely loved it. Yeah, it killed me that I didn't find room on my top 10 for Widows. I really had a hard time not putting it in my top 10 because uh, it's fantastic, but just missed my top 10. It's a great film. I, I read an article recently by Bilge Ibiri about th- this being the year of the quote-unquote elevated genre film, right? Mm-hmm, that this mm-hmm. is like a genre film, uh, but it has an amazing award-winning cast. It has, it, it's, the direction is incredible, and it, it touches upon all these uh, diverse themes that uh, you don't see in a normal bank heist movie or, or not bank heist but you know a normal heist film yeah uh, and yeah i i think that it does really all those elements all that amazing uh talent behind and in front of the camera really does elevate this beyond just a, a regular genre yeah. film um so definitely a great choice for number eight i really loved watching that movie did not make my top 10 but um i'm still a big fan of steve mcqueen's widows mm-hmm. which is davindra's number eight film of 2018 also want to say like i'm very glad that movie uh tried to dive into women's inner lives too which is something we've you know we've appreciated michael mann's movies for being kind of deeper and more introspective but most of his movies are about guys like really and what guys think and how guys deal with the world it is nice to have this different point of view indeed let's get to my number eight film of 2018 which is mission impossible fallout 
Uh, nice. So, yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth film in the Mission Impossible franchise, and writer-director Christopher McQuarrie's second team up with Tom Cruise. And it really shows that Mission Impossible has found its voice by doubling down on the spectacle, right? It has some of the most spectacular stunts ever committed to film, and it was amazing to watch this movie in both Dolby and IMAX, which is <laughs> two ways, uh, two out of the five <laughs> ways in which I watch this movie in theaters. How many times have you seen this movie? Probably like seven, theaters. probably five times in theaters, probably Man. a couple additional times after the Blu-ray came out. Uh, yeah, people in the chat room right now are saying, seems low for Dave. I agree. This it is does a, seem low. It, it, yeah. It, but here, you can't, here's the thing, guys. You can't assign movies rankings based on how many times you've seen them. You know what I mean? I feel like a true Mission Impossible fan would have it higher. That's all. I think a real fan. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, one thing I did want to shout out is Lauren Balfe's amazing score. Now, at this point, we've heard five Mission Impossible scores, right? <laughs> and before this movie came out. And I was thinking to myself, okay, I- I've basically heard every way you can slice and dice the Mission Impossible theme song. Like, there's no, there's nothing new you can bring to this. Even we can the bring Limp Bizkit back. Come on. Yeah, even yeah. the last... Did you want we, the Ska version? <laughs> the Ska... You've got Limp Bizkit, you've got, um, what was it, the guy from U2, right, did the first one? Yeah. Um, Who did you, the rock one for the trailer for this one? Um, was, was, I think you're thinking of uh, Imagine Dragons did the... Imagine Dragons. Did the, did the trailer song, but that, that was not in the film. Um, right, right. But uh, Joe Kramer was the composer for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and he, you know, combined that with... Uh, combined the theme song with opera music, and I was like, oh, like, mm-hmm. he's pulling, like... Um, I, who did the, the Die Hard score? Was it Alan Silvestri did Die Hard? Um, uh, Michael Kamen did the score for mm. Die Hard, uh, and he... Combine the Die Hard score with uh, Beethoven's Ninth, right? So it's like yeah. it's interesting to hear uh, movie music combined with classical music, and so like Mission Impossible already did that. Even it, se- it felt like they had done every permutation of possible Mission Impossible music, and Lorne Balfe really knocked this out of the park. Like he gave the Mission Impossible uh, Impossible theme song this kind of uh, sinister nature to it uh, that I, I had not thought was even possible with the score. Uh, I, I thought it was actually probably my favorite out of all the scores uh, of the Mission Impossible film. So really love the score uh, among many other things. But Mission Impossible Fallout is a movie where a Scientologist billionaire risked his life to do extremely dangerous stunts and film it all so that we could give him money to see it and so he could become an even bigger billionaire. In other words, it's everything that makes America great and terrible <laughs> In one film. Um, that's Mission Impossible Fallout. And yeah, I love this movie. It's my number eight film of the year. Uh, curious that it, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, if this is on your guys' list at all. Because if so, yeah. it, would be, it would have to be higher than number eight. It would. Uh, <laughs> we would have, like, have to like it more than you. Yeah, I which like. I, the thought of it really upsets me. I have to, I'm going to be honest. <clears throat> Um, but let's I find... will say, by the way, like most of these number rankings, that it, it's all <laughs> topsy-turvy. It's all like whatever. Like I don't, unless, um, except for like maybe number one, I don't really give most of the numbered order much credit. Mm. How, well, how dare you do how, Yeah, how dare Str- you? We struggled. We struggled. Right. You guys maybe put numbers on it. I didn't have to assign meaning to it. That's all. <laughs> That's right. Devendra doesn't like it that we do the numbers, but uh, I think it adds a little bit of, a little a little frisson of uh, tension to the <laughs> Never say that again. Um, okay. <laughs> Jeff's number seven film of 2018. It's a uh, frisson. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> just Dave saying that is my favorite movie of the year. Um, number seven, 
is searching. Mm, whoa. Nice. This I will is a surprise. Honest. I will be Enjoy. honest with you guys. I, I think maybe you knew this. Uh, I actively did not want to see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I resisted watching it. I thought there's no way it's not terrible. I mean, actually, I didn't think it was going to be terrible. I just thought it was going to be tedious and overstay its welcome and be a one trick pony that didn't there wasn't much fun to it. How wrong I was uh, searching was clever it was insightful it it used its its gimmick to actually enhance the storytelling to uh, make it more interesting um it a little bit jumps the shark at the end just a teeny 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 bit and we talk about that at length in our episode if you want to go back and listen to that but for the most part i found it to be really fun really clever really smart uh, a great performance by john cho i I really was bowled over and surprised by searching, and that's why it made my list at number seven. I am stunned at this choice, actually. Like, I, I thought searching was a fine film, but I didn't think it would make your, your top ten. Like, when you think about like what you take away from that movie, right? What 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 is it that speaks to you most, Jeff, about the film? Is it well, the the innovation of the storytelling, or is, it, is there like something about it that really like what is there a message that the film has for you? I think I don't want to pull this card because it's it's a, a canard card <laughs> but uh the you know the idea of putting myself in that father's position right yeah you can how, only understand searching if you have kids basically is what you're yes. saying it's the interstellar of 2018 <laughs> it really um it's it, <laughs> i think i love movies i really really love movies where the character is as smart or smarter than me uh and does the things that I would do. I don't, I hate that feeling of like, just do this, just do this. He really does the thing that you would do if you couldn't find your daughter and you yeah. had the internet, <laughs> you know, uh, he really does it and, uh, doesn't give up. And I, I put myself in that situation. I found it's a, it's a sort of fantasy in a dark way, but it is that, that fantasy of what would you do? And, Mostly what you would do is be in front of your computer. And that's so what's so, I think, effective about this manner of storytelling is that it dramatizes that and makes that compelling and interesting to watch. And it is uh, it's a mystery. It is uh, it's a sort of, uh, you know, I like those sleuth um, find the clue type movies. I was hooked by it. I was drawn in and I was dazzled by the ability to use that gimmick in an effective way. I just thought it was great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, great choice for your number seven. I really liked searching as well. And I just want to point something out. We're at Jeff's number seven. So at this point in the podcast, ten films have been named already. And they're all different. Like, I don't think any of us have shared a duplicate film yet. Am I right about that? I think that's right, right? Not yet. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're going to break that record pretty soon. But uh, at this point, just a few choices in, we're already, like, seeing a huge... Uh, range in terms of what the movies we're naming are. But Jeff's number seven is searching. Let's get to Devinder's number seven. What is your number seven, Devinder Hardware? Well, I'm going to break that right now. My number <laughs> seven is blind spotting. Yeah. Yeah. And everything you said, I totally agree with Jeff. Um, I also find a really great film about friendship and about navigating, like, uh, I don't know, racial biases today. It's also about gentrification. It's a movie that's about so much. It juggles so much. And I think like the best Spike Lee movies, um, it kind of balances all of that. Like you can really feel 
I don't know, you could feel like life going on in this movie, um, the way humor and danger and everything kind of coexists at the same time. Always found that fascinating about his movies, and I think this carries that spirit quite well. All right, that's Davinja's choice for number seven, Blind Spotting. Uh, great movie. Uh, the director is Carlos Lopez Estrada. Uh, really looking forward to what he does next. He hasn't done that many feature length films yet, mm-hmm. um, but uh, certainly has proven himself very capable this year with Blind Spotting. So uh, that's Davinja's number seven. My number seven choice of 2018 is Free Solo. For those who don't know, Free Solo chronicles Alex Honnold's quest to climb El Capitan without the use of any ropes or safety equipment. Uh, directors Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassar-Helyi do a fantastic job capturing how impressive and dangerous this feat is. But the film is also a great exploration of Honnold's psychology and what would drive someone to do something like this. Uh, this movie is great because it delivers some of the most uh, exhilarating shots of all time that I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, and it was very difficult to get those shots because you had camera people dangling off the side of mountains with massive <laughs> rigs, right? Just like with a rope yeah. holding them up. Uh, and Hoping needing, he doesn't fall. Yeah, needing yeah. to be there for hours, you know, just uh, shooting in one direction to capture this tiny piece of rock that this climber is going to go past. Um, just imagine investing so much and things go wrong. Yeah. Do you, because you're not doing anything to save the guy. You're just no, you documenting can't. it. You can't. You can't. Because there's, there's nothing you can do. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, as I get older, I feel like I'm getting, I get more emotional, right? Um, but uh, Free Solo is one of the movies that, like, I cried at the end. Because of, because, not because I was happy or sad, but because of how beautiful it was. It was, like, one of the most beautiful uh, endings I'd ever seen in a movie. And, uh, I can't wait to see this movie. Yeah. I can't wait. I, I, I just I really liked it a lot. So it does something, you know, what, what we're going through as we're going through this list, right? Like most of our choices, like every one of these movies do something that no other movie has done in, this year, right? And yeah. uh, it's, it's not like, oh, this is a really good uh, heist movie or this is a really good mountain climbing movie. It's like this is a, a, a movie that doesn't do or, or that does something so singular, so unique that we think it's worth elevating in our top ten. So – Free Solo, my number seven movie of 2018. All right, let's move on to number six. Jeff Kanata, what is your number six movie of the year? Well, I don't expect this one to be in either of your lists, but for me, my number six is Avengers Infinity War. Mm. Ooh. Thanos. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he'll wipe out half the universe. Everything you know, everything you love, it will all be gone. Just like that. Uh, a movie that uh, just means a lot to me and and the kid I was growing up. Uh, and the audacity of how it came together, the audacity of what it tries to do as a movie, what it accomplishes as a movie, how it leaves you leaving the theater as a big tentpole summer blockbuster – is I, I think extraordinary. Uh, I was exhilarated and surprised uh, just seeing all those characters on screen doing something that a little kid me dreamed about. Uh, I, I've been dazzled by Avengers films in the past, just the idea of, of all these characters and their own films coming together. But this one was even more special, bringing together every character that's that's been in the Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe, 
um, and doing something and then, and then having the balls to actually tell a, a kind of challenging tale. I, I loved it, and I, I don't expect you guys to have uh, have it on your list, but yeah. I certainly it certainly meant a lot to me. I will say I will mention this movie at some point. Oh, mm. interesting. Can mm. we just can we uh, like, but not necessarily in your top ten, though, right? Um, can we can hey, we just talk about? It's this? a mystery, can we, Dave. Let can the we, mystery be. Can we take a moment to talk about this movie, though? Like at this point, because yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I, I want to say, Jeff, you're right. This is not in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it did make my honorable mentions. Um, so uh, there's many other movies in my honorable mentions, so I'm going to spoil that. And I'm also going to spoil the film right now. So if you don't want a spoiler <laughs> for Avengers Infinity War, just skip forward by about 30 seconds. But also, why are you listening to this if, <laughs> if you have not seen that movie? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, Avengers Infinity War gave me one of the most memorable movie-going moments of my entire life. Right. Yes. I, I, yeah, I remember <laughs> I remember being in the theater. I remember exactly like which theater it was. I remember like how I felt that day and watching the end of Avengers Infinity War was incredible. Like it, it just you're seeing something that you don't believe could actually happen in a major motion picture put out by Disney yeah. uh, as a summer blockbuster. Like you're watching the enemy win. And yeah. uh, not only that, like as you as you put it on the podcast we did, Jeff, like the the uh, credits, Thanos will return. Like he is the main character. He is yeah. the character that the film mm-hmm. positioned as the protagonist. Yeah, uh, and that is remarkable. Yeah, um, those three words, I think, were as impactful as any moment in the cinema for me this year. Those three words hit me like such a ton of bricks. And and yeah, it's because I you know I'm I love these characters, I love this universe. It's it's not because it's great cinema, but it is it for me it was a great cinematic moment that is worthy of my list. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, just the audacity of it. Also, uh, what was great was originally you guys you guys may or may not know that uh, it was supposed to be Avengers: Infinity War Part One and then Avengers: Infinity War Part Two, and then they just never addressed it. Like they never said it's going to be Infinity War Part 1. They just put it out, and they said, it's Avengers Infinity War. And so uh, the whole time... Well, I think like, at one point they were like, this is a self-contained movie. This is a, yeah, they, it, they, they made that declared. Choice. But the yeah. fact that they didn't put Part 1 in the title, I actually thought was a bold move, right? Because yeah. if you put Part 1 in the title, then everyone knows you're only watching half a story. Right, uh, right. And because they yes. didn't expect half a story... They expected a complete story. I think that moment is even more shocking. Um, and, and the other thing I will say for my particular experience is that I saw the movie at a press screening that was one of the first times it was yes. shown publicly. Yeah. And w- w- the the feeling in that room yes. Yes. as mm-hmm. the credits rolled and everybody was like, they're, they're doing this? Uh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. feeling. Right. Yes. It's it's so exhilarating, right? It was yeah. like I, I wasn't as big of a fan of the movie, right, as you, Jeff. Like it's not on my top ten, yeah. but it, it's such an exhilarating feeling when a major studio takes such a bold chance like that. Um, right. Especially when they they killed off Black Panther, which had just made a billion dollars. Right, <laughs> yeah. that movie had just made uh, more money. Uh, it made more money than Avengers: Infinity War, right? I mean, it it. Um, at least in the United States. And so you had just you know, been coming off of the runaway success of Black Panther and then to then just murder that character at the end of Avengers Infinity War 
Um, I suspect he's going to be back somehow. <laughs> Maybe it'll be like an alternate universe version of him or who knows. Whatever like, happened in comics. Whatever's going to happen, right? But like the fact that they would be willing to do that and then, and then you know, it's one thing to do that and then like, oh, there's 50, 50 minutes left in the movie. But it's like Black Panther's dead and then and cut the credits, right? Like, yeah. wow. Yeah. I'm I'm just like in awe of of the audacity. So definitely one of the best cinematic moments this year. I yes. was in a press screening too, and uh, yeah, you you think this would just be professionals in there, but people were definitely like, oh my god, <laughs> like they'd never seen a movie kill important characters before. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a great moment. It was I was glad to see that fantastic moment. All right, that's Jeff's number six, Avengers: Infinity War. Even your hardware, your number six. My number six is First Reformed. Which is basically the Avengers of Ethan Hawke versus I, I don't know his faith like it, it is something it it is really something. really stretching that Avengers analogy really stretching it uh, <laughs> Paul Schrader Paul Schrader the writer wait 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 Tax- yeah can I do it do it Divinity War oh <laughs> okay I right? like that mm, okay yeah. sorry yeah okay but this is a movie that's so hard to uh, to even describe. Right. Because Ethan Hawke plays a priest in upstate New York. He's dealing with the issues of his own faith, uh, you know, while very sick. Like, it's a really dark movie. Uh, But this is also a movie written, directed by the writer of Taxi Driver. And I feel like you get a lot of that sensibility in this film, too. Like, he is uh, the modern day Travis Bickle, except he wears a collar. Um, And this is a movie that I, I think just explores... I don't know what you call it, the despair, I feel, the the sense of like hopelessness of the the impending climate, war, doom, whatever you want to call it, like the changes that are going to happen in the world that we've created, that we've ignored forever, um, and who knows what's going to happen in a couple decades. All we know, it's going to be very, very bad, but probably very good for some people who are making a lot of money. This is a movie that's wrestling with that fact and also with the idea of bringing a child into the world. Uh, in that moment, it's like bringing, you know, having a child, uh, I, I don't know, in the prequel to Mad Max, right? When you know the world is falling apart. It's like, is this is this right? Should I even do this? Um, and th- that's honestly a little bit how I felt this year, too, as I was waiting for my daughter to be born. Um, and this movie tackles a lot. Uh, but I also think it's just it's it, it's a movie of ideas. It's about the most interesting part of this movie is just like a debate in the living room between Ethan Hawke and uh, an eco-warrior guy, um, a, a man who's expecting a child and doesn't want his wife to have that child because he doesn't think it's right to bring a child into this world right now. It's a tough movie to explain and to even explore, but I think if you if you're somebody who cares about the environment, if you like Paul Schrader's work, especially his older work, his really classical 70s work, uh, I, I think you'll appreciate a lot about this movie. Uh, it's also gorgeous and visually goes places where you would not expect. Definitely one of the most memorable experiences I had at the theater this year. I am so certain this movie would have made my list. If <laughs> oh, Jeff. Oh, I, Jeff. Believe me, it, uh, this one was really high on the gotta watch it before this episode, <laughs> and it just didn't happen. So. I think it's a great film. Um, I'm actually like starting work on a on a video essay about this movie because uh let's just say the ending is open to interpretation and uh, i think the style of the movie is very interesting paul schrader has been an advocate of what's called transcendental style 
Uh, and the movie is theoretically shot in transcendental style, uh, which is is essentially like a way of denying the audience uh, certain filmmaking expectations, so that when you satisfy those expectations, it's like a very it's very notable. Uh, that's a very it's a very crude summary of transcendental. Style. It's not that's not the greatest <laughs> summary, but it's like the style is very distinct, right? That uh, I think it's shot in four by three aspect ratio. Yeah, um, yeah. most of the camera movements, the, the, mostly there's no camera movement at all in the film. Uh, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. um, it's mostly like locked off shots. It's mostly uh, a lot of the shots are ca- like capturing the characters symmetrically, right? So it's very. It's a very quiet film too. Yeah, like very it's quiet, yeah. there's there's a lot. There's going no on. like there's almost no soundtrack or score, right? Uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the music is diegetic, uh, if there is any. Um, so it, the style is very interesting. I, I I think it's a great film. Um, it didn't make my top ten, but I do think that Ethan Hawke's performance. Is probably Man. my favorite performance by an actor this year. Yeah. Um, the, like, if I could award a best actor, it would go to Ethan Hawke. Um, this is a movie that will remind you, like, why why we always thought Ethan Hawke was great. He, I think, recently in recent years, may not have always made the best choices, but here is just like fantastic. I think he's always made Steve. interesting choices. He's always yeah. he's always tried to push the medium for like his own talents. He, he actually gave a, an interview recently where he talked about how. Um, the reason why people like Johnny Depp end up making, you know, 18 Pirates of the Caribbean movies is they they don't want a middle-class lifestyle. Right, right? right. And he is fine with a middle-class lifestyle, right? He's fine yeah. working to pay the bills and, and making small films. And that's why he doesn't star in, like, Marvel films, right? Like, he, he yep. wants to make work that gives him life. And I think that's admirable and first reformed definitely a, a good fruit of that labor so i also love him for doing like he's done like small genre films too uh cool. so i just I, I dig that about him yeah. maybe not the big comic stuff but we've seen a lot of small science fiction movies from him what was that uh the like time travel one we saw uh, from predestination i love that movie yeah that movie is so much fun very interesting yeah film. and daybreakers even which is so Day- silly yeah, but Daybreakers. a fun action movie lord yeah. of war gattaca anyway uh i would say though you only need to do one Pirates of the Caribbean movie to not live a middle class lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Also, dude. I I know the neighborhood he lives in here in Brooklyn. It's it's not far from me. I I don't know if you'd call that middle class. It's it's very <laughs> it's very good. It's, it's not quite middle class, but it's it's certainly not Johnny Depp level. Do you guys see that Johnny Depp? It was I think it was like GQ or something. Like John, there's that Johnny Depp profile that came out this year that that discusses his his yeah, lavish his lifestyle, right? Yeah. His apartment like, for his dogs. And yeah, stuff like it's that. like that kind of stuff. Like, and that's yeah. what, that you know when you're when you're that successful, you have an entourage, you have like uh, yeah. boats and artwork and all this stuff that you got to like pay expenses for. Uh, I mean, you don't artwork got to. of your boats. Yeah, yeah. artwork of your boats. It's crazy. Okay. Anyway, um, there is there's uh, fair enough, Devendra, but you know I think there is still a big difference between Johnny Depp's lifestyle and Ethan Hawke's lifestyle. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But if if you're living in a million dollar home. I just say it's kind of hard to call that middle class. That's, <laughs> that's all. All right. We'll we'll see. Um, so <laughs> let's move we'll on see. to <laughs> let's move on to my number six. <laughs> let's move on to my number six movie of the year, which is Minding the Gap. Are you gonna put me smoking weed? Thing? Maybe. Dude, I don't think just like to do it. Toys. I've given you free range. I mean, I I have no stipulation. <coughs> I've always needed more out of life, more out of where I was. 
You know, my parents ran this very controlling house, and so I ran away a lot. By like 16, I was no longer living with my parents, like at all. I just wanted to fucking escape. Finding the Gap is Bing Lu's chronicle of the lives of his friends growing up, and it reveals uh, that everyone is fighting a battle you don't know and that people change in profound ways over time. It's a beautiful story of love and forgiveness and redemption, uh, and it does a lot to capture what it means to be human. I thought this was a great movie that sounded like it would be a terrible movie. Like, when I heard the premise, I thought, mm-hmm. that sa- I have 0% interest in that film whatsoever. Um, but then I watched it, and I was enthralled by it, and I was moved by it, and I, I want to recommend it to as many people as possible. I forced you guys to watch it as part of Summer Movie Wager, and yes. I think everyone got a lot out of it. Um, Barack Obama listed this movie as one of his top films of the year. Um, so it's a great film. It's available on Hulu right now. I'd recommend it to anyone that's minding the gap. We it's can okay. all agree that Obama totally gets screeners, right? Like, he's not going to the movies. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of choices on his list that were like, dude, that, that movie is really difficult to see. Yeah, right? he gets screeners. They send Obama screeners. I don't think he's they going to, it, like, right? film for him, you know, no. to, like, catch, catch his Listen, movies. Listen, he yeah. has film Twitter connections. Don't worry about <laughs> it. All right, so we are at uh, number five, the top five. And thus far, I think there's only been one repeat. Is that right? So, like, yeah. Lot, I think the repeats are going to start coming hot and heavy now, but uh, so, so far we've had uh, 15 different uh, – or 14 different distinct movies in our top 10, uh, which is pretty cool. Jeff, you're number well, five. This is, yeah, this is, we're in top five territory, so yes. it's getting serious. It's getting this serious is, these, are, these, are the, these are the best of the best. Very serious. Uh, my top five is Minding the Gap. Mm, nice. Uh, so I liked it a little more than you, Dave. Yep. Uh, a little more than you. Apparently. Um, and yeah, everything you said, uh, I would never have watched it save for you winning the summer movie wager. And so the fact wait, I'm sorry, let's pause still... there for a second. I think what you're saying is you're really happy that I won the summer movie wager. Is that what you Not just so said? Not so much that. It, it's so much. It, Jeff Kanata is it, thrilled at Dave Chen's victory in the summer movie wager. More than it, it's a movie so good that it can, that can, it, it, it can transcend even that ding against it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's more like the opposite of what I was saying, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, now you get it. Yeah. Um, uh, no, everything you said about winding that gap is great. It's one of the most intimate movies I've seen this year. I've ever seen it. I mean, it, it really is extraordinary watching film that is being captured by one of the main characters, one of the friends in this story. So these are friends talking to one another, talking around one another, and they're being recorded. And it, the fact that it takes place over so many years and you see how these lives change and what small decisions and big moments lead to, you see the outcomes of how people are treated and how they treat one another. And uh, it's, it's sad. It's harrowing. It's beautiful. It's sweet. Uh, it's an exquisite movie and uh, really quite an achievement for a first-time filmmaker. Uh, Mining the Gap should not be missed. I I agree with uh, with Obama, not really Dave. More Obama mm. I agree with mm. than, than Dave. Yeah. This is cool. I don't know that I recall ever you putting a documentary on your top ten. Um, you've really you've, you've mentioned it, like honorable mention. I was just I was re-listening to our top ten from last year, and you mentioned like Icarus and your honorable mentions, but like. I don't recall you ever putting a documentary, so that's it's awesome. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's your number five, Mining the Gap. Devendra Hardwar, your number five film of 2018. 
My number five is If Beale Street Could Talk. Mm. And I will say this movie almost didn't make my list because I, I just had to like run out uh, earlier today to see it uh, because I had no time over the holidays. But it's a movie that struck me so hard and so much. I think this is my favorite romance I've seen this year. Uh, this is the Barry Jenkins film based on the James Baldwin book. Um, it's about a black couple in New York uh, set in, I think it's what, the 50s or the 60s. Um, but it's it's really about their love and telling their love while also dealing with like the injustice of America against black people. And it really juggles those two things really well. Uh, but just like Moonlight, I also think it's a beautiful film. It's full of emotion. It's full of heart. Um, it's full of life in a lot of ways, too. I think uh, Barry Jenkins is the guy carrying the torch for Wong Kar Wai for just like, I, I, I don't know, love, passion, like um, this longing for another person, the way he films. Uh, he's talked about how much Wong Kar Wai influenced uh, Moonlight. And I think you could feel that too in this movie. Uh, it's a beautiful film. I cannot, uh, <laughs> I, I've only recently seen it, but it's something that's going to stick with me for a long while. Yeah, you know, Devendra, this is this is a great film. I agree with you. It's so good. It did not make my top ten, um, and I feel bad about that. I feel bad about the fact that if Beale Street Could Talk is not in the top ten because it is. It is really. It is truly great. It's unlike anything I've yeah. seen this year. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The acting is great. Uh, it, it has amazing central performances and also a great side performance um, by Brian Tyree Henry who has mm-hmm. had an incredible year this year. Great year for him. But, I mean, um, honestly, everybody in this movie, Regina King is, like, a, you know, a queen, as always. It's yeah. just amazing in this She's movie. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's it's really good. I, I really strongly recommend this movie. It's If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, and it is Devendra's number five. Go ahead, Devendra. It's opening wide this week, too, so see it in a theater. See it in a crowd. See it in a group of strangers, because I think sharing that emotion with somebody where you, you may all get teary by the end of this movie uh, I think is a powerful thing that's the power cinema right there my number five is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as you pointed out Into the Spider-Verse is uh, an incredible film it's one of the fullest realizations ever of comic book art style on the big screen Mm -hmm. and I think not only is it like the the closest rendering I can like the, the, the closest to a perfect translation of a comic book to a film um, but it also captures the spirit of Spider-Man, that of someone who tries to do good above all odds and the camaraderie that can be found when Spider-Man meets other Spider-Men and women. Um, and it's that rare film that manages to satirize a genre while also being a great entry into it. That is a fine line to walk, to poke fun at something and also to show respect for it. Uh, very difficult. This movie's pulling off multiple challenging things at a time. It's beautiful. It's funny. Uh, it is a great Spider-Man movie. Uh, I loved it. That's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's my number five film of 2018. So good. It's very good. All right, let's move on to number four. Jeff Kanata, you're number four. Well, Dave, uh, I got another documentary for you. Mm. Won't You Be My Neighbor? Oh, nice. So that's two documentaries in my top five this year. Mr. Rogers? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> I'm glad to see you. Hi. Thank you very much for coming by. This is my friend Jeff Erlinger. 
He's one of my neighbors here, and I asked him if he would come by today because I wanted you to meet him, and I wanted you to see his electric wheelchair. Won't you be my neighbor if I could select one film that was mandatory viewing for every American? It would be Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's a movie about caring in every sense of that word, uh, investing in at the outcomes of things, caring for other people. Uh, it is a movie that made me cry, I think, the entire time I was watching it. It spoke to me particularly because I grew up with Mr. Rogers. This is the documentary about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And the man who was Mr. Rogers. But I think it would speak to any any human being, even if you weren't someone that was familiar with that programming, because it it explains what made him special. It explained how he communicated with children and his message of open heartedness, of kindness. Kindness in 2018 was in all too short supply. And this movie is just a love letter to kindness. It is a justification for kindness. It is a reminder that kindness is important. And I wish every single American could watch it. I wish every single person on the planet could watch it and get out of it what I got out of it, which which was uh, a simple, beautiful message that caring and kindness matter and should be things that we seek out and invest our time and energy into. Uh, it's a beautiful movie about a beautiful man and um, – won't you be my neighbor is number four, but it could easily have been higher than that. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I will say I cannot wait to see that movie. Uh, I feel like I've been hesitant because it's going to break my heart. And also I feel like that, that type of kindness that he embodied just seems to have disappeared completely. So it almost breaks my heart to be reminded of where we used to be in a way. Yes. Yep. It's 100% true. I mean, he, there's literally him testifying in front of Congress mm-hmm. in the movie. And you feel about like... About the power of public uh, television. TV, right? Yeah. yeah. Man. It's just, it just seems like such a bygone era of people speaking for the public good and trying to do right. It just seems to be completely absent in our political discourse now. It's sad. That's Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's Jeff Kanata's number four film of 2018. Devinder Hardwar, what about your number four? My number four is Mission Impossible Fallout. Whoa! What? Yeah. Take Chris that, David Ch- Chen. Oh, Early man. Impossible <laughs> fan, David Chen. <laughs> but I love this movie. I'm so I- embarrassed. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I- it's like I showed up at your wedding wearing white. <laughs> How could you? I mean, I did not see this movie as many times as you did, Dave, in theaters. I really wish I did because I was dying to. Uh, I did see it twice in theaters, and uh, I'm loving the uh, the 4K Blu-ray right now. But I think uh, Christopher McQuarrie, what he is doing with this series and with action movies, this guy is basically just playing action movie jazz. And I am right here <laughs> tapping my feet along with every beat. Uh, I'm loving it. Like it's uh, it's franchise I've always loved. I think they've finally hit their stride in terms of like doing new things, getting a nice team dynamic going, and introducing new elements as well like i think henry cavill is a great uh a great foil in this movie to tom cruise uh love everything about it um probably no definitely my favorite action movie experience this year i have to say it was very special uh for me to go on my honeymoon this year uh and i'd never been to london or england before 
and huh. then to see those settings brought to life in Mission Impossible Fallout. Cause Did it, you make the jump, Dave? Well, once, once you've been to those places, you realize like how difficult it must have been to shoot at those locations, yes. right? Like yes. the Arc de Triomphe, you know, and um, riding, like riding a motorcycle without a helmet through Paris' streets. Uh, just incredible visuals in that movie. Uh, and so big fan of the film and very special for me to watch it. But not as um, big a fan as Davindra. Clearly. I mean – that's been established. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm embarrassed. You know, it's I, I, quantifiable at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it's you can. It's mathematical. You can, yeah, you can do the math on it. Uh, okay, let's talk about my number four, which is Roma. Te resucita, pues, y ya nos vamos. No puedo. Estoy muerto. Ah, bueno. ¿Qué haces? ¿Qué haces? Ya dime. No puedo. Estoy muerta. So Roma, as you guys have pointed out, is Alfonso Cuarón's semi-autobiographical look at the life of his living housekeeper. It is spectacularly shot and choreographed. It's in in many ways, it's it's like Cuarón's coming to terms with his privilege, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what I see a, a lot of the movie as doing is like. He had this housekeeper, uh, Lebo, who was such a big part of his life and who to this day still binds the family together. I read a profile about him in the New York Times, and he's talking about how he, he had offered her money uh, for the rights to her story. And she declined because uh, she thought that it's completely unnecessary because like she it was her job to take care of these kids and, and she did it gladly. Um, and I, I think it's a beautiful tribute to the huge place of importance that people uh, who are uh, people like Cleo in the movie, Lebo in Alfonso Cuarón's actual life, these people have in our lives, right? Um, how they must shoulder the emotional burden of being part of the family as well as the physical labor of taking care of everything. We don't necessarily choose the people who become a huge part of our lives, but we can be grateful for them. Uh, and I think... That's one of the many messages of this film. It's also really good at capturing like how exogenous factors, like uh, the turbulent political time, uh, has an impact on uh, the protagonist's life. Uh, I-, I think it's a great film. It's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a technical marvel. And uh, you can check it out right now on Netflix. So that's my number four film of 2018. It's, it's also Roma. opening up in more theaters too, I believe. So you, yeah. you could see it in more places. Yeah, uh, you should definitely. This is you know, uh, uh, not that many movies. I'm like, gotta watch it in theater. Like uh, most movies, obviously the theater is the best presentation. But like, yeah, this is the only one. Even even Mission Impossible. If you have a really good sound system at home, you can get a lot out of it. But this is the only one where I'm like, the it's worth going to the movie to see Roma. Uh, and not watching it on your uh, on your iPhone. So see it on the big screen, see it with good sound, and also see it with people. I yep. think this is a great movie for that. I saw this movie in the front row of the IC Cinema here in New York, and that experience is just tremendous. Yeah, I think uh, for the year that was 2018, I mean, having compassion for people that do these things that come from Mexico in particular, uh, it's a it, it is a very uh, timely film as well. Let's move on to number three. Our number three films. Really getting real now, guys. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what is your number three film 
Okay. You know what? I'm not even embarrassed. I'm not even embarrassed. I'm going to say number oh boy. three, Game Night. Whoa! Night is my number three what? film. I mean, of the Game year. Night's a great film, but woo! <laughs> Any plans for this evening? Uh, no. Perhaps a game night. We're just going to stay in, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Boring. Mm. I see. I do hope you keep me in mind for any future game nights. Well, you bet. I've always enjoyed the camaraderie of good friends competing in games of chance and skill. Yeah. I don't know how many people that listen to this show and don't listen to my video game podcast know this about me, but I am a massive board game fan. I have literally hundreds of board games, uh, designer board games, cover them on my shows. Uh, I am very deeply ingrained into that community. I was a guest at the uh, board game geek con last year. I am very into board games. I'm also married. And this movie just felt like my life, uh, done as a wonderful, brilliant comedy <clears throat> that was so much fun. And the reason it's so high up on my list, uh, I, I can't think of another year where a pure comedy would make it this high on my list, but I needed to laugh in 2018. And uh, this movie delivered it. It was funny and fun, rip-roaring adventure along with it, uh, with really delightful performances, uh, a fun villain. Uh, and, and it was the Venn diagram of my interests writ large as a film and done with aplomb. I, I loved it. And I'm not ashamed <laughs> to say it. I loved it. This movie is for me and I don't care if it didn't, you know, if it doesn't have the, uh, the c- cinematic bona fides of something else, it, it deserves its spot on my list at number three. Game it's a good night. movie. Yeah. It's, I will tell you that until a, f- a couple days ago, Game Night was on my top ten. Um, it, I it just it didn't make the cut, but like it's it's up there. You know, it's a movie I really enjoyed. I thought it was very creative and very funny. So uh, no no shame necessary, Jeff Canada. A lot of a lot of shame necessary in general for you, but mm. not for mm. this choice. Not for this okay, choice. fair enough. Yeah, Devendra, you're number three. My number three is Annihilation. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I feel a like lot we of... forgot about this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't a forget lot of about it. Did. I didn't yeah. forget about it. It but... came out, yeah, in February. So I, I feel like early mo- early year movies tend to get short shrift, me a little maybe. But I sure. loved Ex Machina. Um, I love what Alex Garland is doing with science fiction. I also love this the original book by Jeff Vandermeer. And fittingly, this movie is basically a mutation of that story. It's it's like a nice remix of that idea of traversing into the complete unknown, into this alien environment where things don't make sense, where science doesn't make sense. And trying to deal with that, I, I think, is just completely fascinating. Uh, love the cast completely. Um, it's a gorgeous film. And I think it has some of my favorite imagery of the year. Like every sequence of this movie um, it, it could be the bear thing, which is one of the scariest horror sequences this yes. year. But even the whole ending sequence, which is like, um, it's like the best Bjork music video. And I am a huge Bjork fan. So give me that mind trip. Give me, give me that sort of like weird existentialism of everything this movie is exploring. I love it all completely. All right. That's number three, Annihilation. I'm sorry, uh, Devendra's number three, Annihilation, a very well-regarded 
critically acclaimed film. Uh, gr- great kind of mind-bending ending to Annihilation. I will just put that oh, out yeah. there. Right? Really, so really good stuff there. Um, so uh, nice choice for your number three. By the way, I'm loving the commentary of the chat room about the, our top ten list. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> Devendra, when you're talking about Mission Impossible, somebody said, Devendra outchend Dave. And then Eric <laughs> Kwong said, Devendra outchend Dave. And Chiyu Liu said, never go full Chen. You never go full Chen, Devendra. It's true. Um, but uh, anyway. Yeah, you never, you never go full Chen. <laughs> never go full Chen. Okay, let's talk about number three. My number three film of the year is Private Life. You need to sign these. Oh, my God. What are we doing? Are we really doing this? Are we insane? No, we're not insane. We're normal. No, oh, this is not normal. This is the opposite of normal. I'm not sure it's even ethical. Remember what Marty said? Oh. Having a baby is an immoral act. Marty's an idiot. Overpopulation, climate change, rise of neo-fascism. Did you take your Valium? Yes. Why? This is the Netflix film... Jeff, what is that? What is that sound you're making? Was it because you're like, oh, I didn't consider that because it's Netflix? No, film? it's it's in my honorable mentions, mm. and it just pains me that you put it on your list and I did. I, I mean, it, it is. A, it's, <laughs> I couldn't find room for it. Yeah. It just it's a it's a beautiful movie. I, yeah. I love there are regrets in these lists. Is just like, oh, I didn't love this movie enough. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> yeah. what I feel bad about. Reproductive health and planning is something lots of people deal with, but very few people talk about publicly. And Tomorrow Jenkins' Private Life is a raw look at one couple trying to have a child. It's brutally honest. It's awkward. It's hilarious. And it brings to light a struggle that most people don't think about. Um, and it brings it up in a way that is heartfelt and moving. Um, I, I love movies like this because you know they, they seem like they capture a real-life couple – but they also, uh, as you know, Eber put it, like they're empathy, empathy machines, right? They cause you to reconsider the things that other people are going through that, that you might not be going through uh, or that you might not even have thought of. And uh, I think stuff like that is very powerful. So uh, I love this movie and uh, I want more people to see it. It is also on Netflix. You can easily just check it out now. We live in a beautiful age. Um, check it out on yeah. Netflix. That's my number three of the year, Private Life. By the way, just just want to say it is really interesting that so many yeah of our top tens are coming from Netflix now. Like yeah, uh, I, streaming yeah. is making a bigger impact. It is kind of crazy. I'm glad that Netflix is at least trying to look at uh, theatrical showings now, especially with something like Roma out there. Yeah. All right, guys, it's our top two movies of the year. Here oh, it boy. is. It's happening. It. It's happening. Jeff Kanata, your number two film of 2018. My number two is Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah. The El Royale is a bi-state establishment. You have the option to stay in either the great state of California or the great state of Nevada. Warmth and sunshine to the west or hope and opportunity to the east. Which would you prefer? I loved this movie. I loved how the tale was told. I loved how the camera moved. I loved the quirky characters and the pulpy setting. I just loved the yarn that was spun in -hmm. Bad Times at the El Royale. I was on the hook from the word go from that car tearing ass around the corner and pulling into the, the hotel to the 
weird moment at the very beginning when you're figuring out who these people are to the way this movie deliberately reveals new information and then goes back and shows you the other side. It is. And the music. The and music. the music is great. Man. The singing is spectacular. I love Motown. I've always been a huge Motown fan. And having that as the lifeblood pulsing through this movie is so great. Bad Times at the El Royale is a blast, and I loved every second of it. It's so much fun. I just saw it on iTunes, and without even thinking, I was like, click, buy, watch it. No joke. I just got this movie on 4K Blu-ray today in the mail. Oh, I hate um, you. I hate you because, so much. Uh, I, I also love this movie, and this was one of those last-second didn't it was on my top 10 at one point and then didn't make it in the end uh but i think this movie's great and uh, i'm fun. really such a big fan and glad you put it at your number two jeff um so that's number two for jeff canada bad times at the el royale devendra hardwar you're number two okay here we go my number two is black panther wow Ooh. nice i wow. cannot think of a bigger phenomenon this year you know, this movie is—it's a movement. It is—it is something huge entirely. It was a huge cultural shift for Marvel films, um, but I think it's also just—it's doing so many damn things. It's Ryan Coogler coming off of Creed and making a movie that's somehow even, I think, more effective. Uh, great writing all around, tremendous style, and probably, yeah, my favorite Marvel villain—just like a great sympathetic villain. That reveals a lot, not just about like the Marvel world, but I think says a lot about the real world as well. It, it just does so much. And uh, I love that this movie is here. It's uh, promoting things like um, bringing like Afrofuturism into the mainstream. I love all that. I, I just love everything about this movie. Cannot get out of my head. I'm so glad we got that. And I, I saw it several times in theaters. And here in New York, just seeing crowds of black and brown children. Just like watching this movie, loving it, and having something to like identify with it was truly powerful for me. So that was a big reason why it's my number two. Black Panther is the number one film of 2018 in terms of domestic box office grosses, which I think we all expected this movie would do well. I don't think any of us thought it would be number one of no. the whole year. Yeah. Like I don't I'm think pretty sure just... I called. I, I did say this movie would make all the money in the world last yes, year. Yes, you, did, you <laughs> did say that. That's true. It would be that. That's true. Um, but it beat Avengers Infinity War. Um, yep. Avengers Infinity War made 678. Black Panther made 700. Uh, remarkable. I also would not have predicted that Incredibles 2 would be number three at $608 million. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So that movie did really well. Uh, I have a feeling that one's on none of our lists, though. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Still, still, yeah. a couple, still a couple left. Still a couple choices left. Um, Black Panther, uh, great film, Devendra, is in my honorable mentions, along with a bunch of other movies we'll get to. Um, I just got back from an awesome vacation in Hawaii, uh, and my my wife is the biggest fan of Black Panther. She saw it three times in theaters. When mm -hmm. we got home from Hawaii, right, which is a fairly lengthy flight, uh, six-hour flight, get home, exhausted, first thing she does is put Black Panther on the TV. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> that was yesterday. That was yesterday or uh, a couple days ago, whenever, whenever pretty, we got Pretty there. obvious why you married her. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Because of her love for Black Panther, a movie that didn't well, exist yet. A shared um, love for movies, I think, is, <laughs> is more the point I was trying to make, but yeah. <laughs> but Black Panther, a uh, great choice for your number two movie of the year. Let's get to my number two, which is The Rider. 
the writer is Chloe Zhao's naturalistic wow. film about a rodeo rider coming to terms with his injury. It's not only beautiful, but a moving tale about how to find your place in this world when the thing you love the most, the place where you feel like you belong the most, has been taken away from you. Uh, and it's about h- how you can find meaning elsewhere and how there's true value in that. Uh, it, it is a beautiful moving film, and I, I really agonized over whether to put this as my number one because mm-hmm. I think this is a movie that uh, very few people actually saw this year. Uh, I think it's a movie that more people should see, and I'd recommend it to anyone listening right now. Uh, you should watch this movie, and it, it, it's a miracle that this movie exists. You know, like yeah. it's one of those yeah. movies that was made for almost no money, uh, was made with mostly non actors, and yet manages to tell a really compelling story. Uh, and so strongly recommend The Rider. Chloe's out. Can't wait to see what she does next. It's going to be awesome. Um, but you should check it out. That's my number two film of the year, The Rider. So, gentlemen, we've uh-huh. arrived at our number one films of 2018. I just I have a hunch it's, it's going to be all different films. For all I think films. it's all different films, too. I'm, yeah. I'm 99% sure what Devendra's is. I don't know what yours is. I think you both probably know what mine is. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's Venom, right? Venom. Venom. <laughs> we shall just say Jeff's out loud. Yeah, let's no, count no, to three no. and say Venom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Jeff Kanata, your number one movie of 2018. Well, Dave, I <laughs> guess I should probably say this in the form of a limerick. We counted down this list in reverse. Now we finally get to the first. No doubt you predicted the m- top movie I picked is Into the Spider-Verse. Nice. <laughs> I, was like, I saw that Spider-Verse rhyme yeah, coming, Jeff, but coming. it was still beautiful when it happened, Jeff. It was still beautiful. Uh, I, both of you have it on your top tens, lower down. Uh, for me, I really thought and thought and thought, is this movie really my number one? Is it really my number one? And... It is. It is. It is uh, a a movie that on every single level is special. It is a movie I think that is going to stick around. It's going to be a movie that is going to be a cult classic and people are going to watch for generations. It's a movie that means something to a, a whole new generation of superhero fans. It's a movie that redefines how you can tell those tales cinematically. It's a movie that tries new daring approaches to animation. It's a movie that has heart and hope and a whole range of crazy characters that have never been on the big screen before, that have never been on any screen before, really. And it does it all so well. It juggles so many crazy ideas and so many daring approaches on, on, from a technical level to a storytelling level. It is, it's my favorite movie of the year. It is my favorite mm-hmm. movie of the year. And who knew it would be a superhero movie from Sony yeah. that would be my who number. Thought? Who would have ever thought? I was really expecting Venom, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> th- that would have been great. But I-, I will say, this movie, the only thing wrong I could think about it is that I just wanted more. And yeah. that's that's a great sign, right? Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. It's kind of a miracle that this movie, with this crazy idea, can be as good as it is. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, frequent listeners to the show will remember that whenever that was, several years ago, 
my number one movie was the Lego movie. And so Lord and Miller have my number, man. They, they have uh, dialed it in two number ones over the course of just a few years. That's pretty impressive. Uh, but these movies speak to me. They, they have, they have heart. They are about something. They're trying to convey a, uh, a message that is positive and inspiring. And I love the idea of, uh, anyone can wear the mask. That is that is a beautiful concept, and that this movie is trying to convey that makes it special to me as well. It, it, it's my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, when I saw this movie, I, like the first thing I thought of was, man, I can't wait till Jeff sees this because, as <laughs> I mentioned, it's like it's the fullest real. First of all, obviously, a character that is beloved and, and that I know you relate to a lot, but yes, it's just the the fullest realization of what it means to see a comic book in movie form, you know, what yeah. it means to like, and all the choices that they made. Uh, there's been a lot of the filmmakers like tweeting about it recently about like how they chose to animate it in such yeah. a creative way. Like it's, it's animated in a way that's not conventional. Right. Um, the frame rate is not conventional, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, or, you know, it's a normal frame rate, but they, they, they made different choices within that frame rate that, that are very interesting. And, um, I, I just think it's uh, it's so audacious. They, 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 it really felt like they were um, they they knew they had to leave it all on the field. You know what I mean? It really felt like, yep. hey, yep. we're going to take as many chances as we can because, like, for some reason, Sony's giving us X million dollars to make this movie. Let's not question that generosity and just go all the way with it because we we might not ever make another one of these. Um, the movie's doing pretty well, over a hundred million dollars domestic, uh, and. I'm hoping it's good enough to, to give us a sequel. We'll see. But mm-hmm. I also love this movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It really shows the power of animation, by the way. Like, your only limit with animation is your imagination. Like, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. pretty much it. And but, I'm sure budget and stuff, too. But really, that's it. But how did it take so long for somebody to try something really fresh and new? Mm-hmm. You know, it, yes, you can do anything, but but the industry sort of falls into this groove of what everybody else does. We do as well. And the fact that this movie broke the mold in such a bold way. And, and like you say, Dave really embraced comic book storytelling and comic book visualization and managed to translate that in a way that didn't feel goofy, that didn't feel like it took something away from it that actually felt additive. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. I also have to say it's a brave movie for breaking away from uh, just being a completely CG film, you know, yeah. and I, I love The Incredibles. I love a lot of what Pixar is doing. I do feel like we're seeing just so many of those uh, because it's pretty easy to produce once you create some models. Um, yeah, a lot of work goes into it, but I am I am a traditional animation fan, like in my in my bones. It's what I grew up watching. So a lot of this uh, movie was, you know, hand cell painted as well, combined with a lot of digital tech. Um, it's just something I love so much. Uh, that's why I'm a big fan of anime, because really what what's tremendous there is like the imagination of a lot of those creators of like Miyazaki and everyone where, you know, the way you create something just by drawing it, uh, you could tell an entire story like that. That always fascinated me. This movie captures that same feel completely. I would also like to say quickly that there is a fantastic article on SlashFilm.com uh, as we record this. And I'm not going to get – I don't know who wrote it. I apologize. I believe that um, was Sid. Was it? Uh, uh, that it really delves into some of the wonderful special choices that were made in how the movie conveys – action and and uses uh 
uh, tropes from comic books to to enhance uh, its visual vocabulary. Uh, well worth reading. I also think that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse gave us one of the best visuals and thus moments of the year of 2018. It's in all the trailers. It's in all the posters. So I'm just going to say that it's that moment when Miles jumps down into the city mm-hmm. and the it basically like shows you the flipped version of it. So rather than going downward, he's actually going up into the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's just such an amazing visual, it's so powerful, and uh, one of the most memorable things I've seen in the theater. So, uh, yeah, it gave us a lot of things this year. That visual was one of them. That, along with like Thanos' snap, like two of my most memorable moments of, of the year in these movies. So, uh, that's Jeff Kanata's number one film of 2018, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. I have to say, I have absolutely no idea what Devinger is going to put his number. I like, know. I thought he was going to be. I thought it was going to be like Black Panther, or maybe if Bill Street could, could have talk. been Black Panther. Could have easily been Black yeah, Panther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Black Panther was his number two. Je- can I ask Jeff to guess, or Devinger? Do you not want to like? I'll just say it's a very manless. It's a very manless song. <laughs> I mean, maybe I, I don't even know. <laughs> Devinger Hardware, what is your number one film of 2018? My number one is Roma. Mm. Oh, I thought it was going to be Mandy. <laughs> oh, well, Mandy is a great movie, yeah. and I will not deny its greatness. But I think Roma, I, I love Alfonso Cuaron. I love the way he tells stories. Um, you look back at Children of Men and like the power of that movie, the prescience of that movie. And so much of it, so much of it comes from the research of him and uh, I believe his son, who he co-wrote it with. Um, but so much of it is just research and looking at the world and trying to reflect uh, some some meaning of the world. And I think Roma is not trying to do that, really, but it's a personal story. I think there are some things you could certainly tie back to today in terms of how different classes of people are treated. Uh, it's certainly an apology in a way to, uh, you know, the child worker or the um, the care worker who helped take care of him. Um it's a love letter. It's, it's so many different things, but it's also a beautiful movie. And I think, um, I said this in our review, but this is, is still how, like my memory of that movie is just like how it really balances the knife edge between like life and death. And there's a lot going on in this movie. It reminds me so much of like great seventies, um, you know, Italian, uh, films like just things that really go deeply into village life, into very personal stories. Uh, it just it does so much. It's a beautiful movie. I'm glad I saw it in a the theater as well. And I'm glad that so many people have access to it now. Um, but it's also such a confounding movie too because it's hard to explain what really makes it great. You kind of just have to sit down and be enveloped in this world, uh, in the sound design of it too. Like if you don't have good speakers. Uh, maybe, maybe try to get some headphones configured because it'll probably be better than your TV speakers and just watch it like that if you're watching it on your own because you really have to get the sense uh, of sound to really understand this world. So there's so much going on. Love this movie. Totally. Great choice for your number one. Love drama. Awesome film. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've told you guys a story of like I, I, I tried to dive back into – I'm really on a, a Quaron kick right now. I'm going to see Children of Men – uh, in theaters in a couple weeks. Oh boy! Um, oh, so wow. looking forward to that. Uh, is it getting a re-release or is that like no? A special it's just thing playing there? at the Cinerama. Um, they're doing uh, like a like a kind of they do these like little mini film festivals all the time where they play old movies and so really yeah. excited about that. 
Um, and I also saw Itumama Tambien for the first time. That's a perfect movie, man. On uh, on my on the plane ride to Hawaii. Um, hey, for the first time? For the first time, saw it on a plane ride to Hawaii. You saw it on a plane ride. How did how how how, Dave? And <laughs> let me let me tell you a couple of things about watching Itumama Tambien for the first time. Number one. It gets you primed for a luau, is uh, what that movie does. Uh, number, number one, Alfonso Cuaron really likes ending his movies at beaches, I've, I've discovered, or, or like near water. <laughs> like, a lot of his movies end near water. Water's um, life, Dave. Yeah. I mean, it just there's a lot of symbolism in water, I guess. Um, uh, I'm not going to name which ones, because I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say it's more than three. So, Most of them. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of his movies end at beaches. Um and then number two, uh, you should not watch Itumama Tambien in a place where you're surrounded by people that can see your tablet. Not a good call. <laughs> not a good call. <laughs> uh, because there's just a lot of uh, extremely graphic sex in Itumama Tambien. Um, and it's just not. Just people heading out to, uh, you know, family vacations in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. Were you watching this on a laptop or a tablet? Dave? Tablet. I was watching it on my iPad, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good screen. Yeah, you know, you hold that up to your face. It's it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, it's it's approximating a movie screen. Um, <laughs> but that it, it is also a great film. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. I think you brought this up uh, when we talked about the uh, on our Roma episode, Davinder. But you're saying like it's almost like Roma from a different perspective. It's almost like yeah. Roma yeah. from the perspective of the kids, right? Um, and I I thought it was very interesting. And I I can also see why like it's a very effective film. And I can see why like this is the movie that made him a breakout star uh, a breakout director right that's the movie that really he had done like great expectations at that point um, which he has severe regrets about yeah, too i believe didn't, yeah. didn't go that well but then he did itumama tambien that broke the whole thing wide open for him diego luna little Gal- princess yeah little princess yeah. gal garcia bernal and, and diego luna um that really kind of uh, helped them to break out as stars as well mm-hmm. and then you know he's made some really interesting decisions since then um, but I was reading – again, I was reading this profile about him in the New York Times and he was talking about how uh, like for the longest time he was like sleeping on couches. Um, his career was going nowhere and then Itumama Tambien, you know, Harry Potter, Gravity, um, those really kind of made him able to write whatever checks – like the, sure, the, the, sure. he was able to write his own ticket after those. And interesting that after all – that he could he could make literally any movie he wanted, right, after – um, Gravity made seven hundred million dollars. Right, he mm-hmm. could make, could choose what. It reminds me of when Danny Boyle decided to make one hundred twenty-seven hours after Slumdog Millionaire. Remember that? <laughs> like he, yes. he, this movie yes. is so successful, and he's like, uh, he could make, you know, the next uh, Marvel movie, the next whatever big budget blockbuster. But he's like, no, I'm going to make a movie about a guy with a rock uh, trapping his arm under, mm-hmm. th- you know. And it's like this is a like a very small film. In a lot of ways, but it's also a film that feels extremely personal. It feels like a movie like he had to make, right? Yeah, that was yeah. a good movie, too. Yeah. Man, um, I love artists who challenge themselves, and yeah. I think Danny Boyle and Coron both have that going for them. And they, they always, all their movies are so very different, too. Yeah. But I also love the fact that after making like a huge 3D uh, CG enhanced epic, you know, uh, space c- apocalypse movie, or not apocalypse, but like a space uh, tragedy or something like things, everything goes wrong. He makes a quiet black and white movie in Mexico City. Just kind of love that about this too. Yeah, it's it's a great. I think film. he's. Yeah. I think he's a genius. I think he's mm-hmm. straight up a genius, and uh, I will see him and in Inaratu. I, I think like I will go see anything they make. I sure. want to see. I just want them to keep 
making movies because it is extraordinary to see what they put on screen. Yeah. I think I just like also really gel with his worldview in a way like it is realistic, but also kind of poetic and kind of hopeful. And honestly, that's the thing where, you know, I, I love Inari too as well, like for some of his movies, but it really depends. He can be hit or miss for me because dude can be, uh, you know, cruel. Uh, he can be very cruel, cruel right? just uh, cruel and like grim, like not, there's not much hope in some of his movies. And all of Cuaron's uh, movies are are pure hope, basically, mm. even when things are at their worst. Mm. Uh, great, call, great uh, observation on on uh, Cuaron. So uh, that's Devinger's number one movie of the year. It's Roma. My number one movie of the year is the favorite. Wow. Uh, yeah. Even if I were the last one left in this wretched place, I would remain a lady. <laughs> You're pretty when outraged. So my secrets are safe with you. All of them. Good. Even your biggest secret. Abigail. If you forget to load the pellet, the gun fires, makes a sound, but releases no shot. It is a great jape, do you agree? Yes. Maybe we will think of a use for it one day. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I do fear confusion and accidents. I'm sure people will be careful. This is Yorgos Lanthimos' period comedy, a Shakespearean story about selfishness and about love and how much those things can cost a kingdom. It is brilliantly acted. It's bitingly written with great one-liners left and right and creatively shot with uh, ultra-wide lenses. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, it's Lanthimos' most accessible uh, accessible work, I think I'm going to be rewatching this movie long into the future, and as such, it's my favorite movie of 2018. And like I said, I really, I really struggled about whether this movie or The Rider would be my number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the reason I ended up choosing The Favorite is because there has been no other movie this year in 2018 where I was so actively looking forward to the next scene of the movie. <laughs> Right, <laughs> where like I was just like, oh, like oh, that's so delicious. I, I can't wait to see how this is gonna ha- like how what happens next with this this character or this interaction, um, and where every like not every but like almost every directing decision I just thought was was perfect. Like the hand job scene, for instance. You know, I'll, I'll say it vaguely. <laughs> I mean, just like the way that is shot is is so perfect in terms of how it captures the character's mindset in that moment um i I just think it's 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 amazing and it's uh in my opinion the best script of 2018 as well right like yeah i would agree there's movies that that are bad times right right there's movies that are really good um that don't necessarily like mission impossible um a fallout not necessarily the best script in my opinion but still a hugely enjoyable film this is such a smartly written script that like just requires so much skill to make the script for the favorite um that i just think it's 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 like a script that you can read on its own without even needing to watch the movie and still mm-hmm. get so much out of it um because it's so dense and the language is so creative so that's my number one movie of 2018 the favorite yeah, I. It's funny hearing you talk about the the way it's shot as being um, one of the reasons it's your number one. For me, that's that's really my only knock against it is yeah. that I was I was constantly <laughs> distracted by the 
the bizarre fisheye lens and, and kind of weird camera placement uh, up the nose of, of our characters. But yeah. uh, it's really the only thing that held it back for me. But I also adore it. It was my number nine. And I, it, I love the script. I loved, I just, I love the performances. Olivia Coleman, if she doesn't win the Academy Award, we riot. Yeah. We riot. It is She's a amazing. trio. It, like that trio of performances is like probably the strongest trio between Emma Stone, Olivia Coleman, and Rachel Weisz. Like that is the strongest three performances in one movie. For, yeah. for the whole year, in my opinion, like, mm. like you had you had movies like Private Life that's like a strong uh, two hander, right? Uh, yeah. But like that's like three knock them out of the park performances. That's really difficult to do, uh, and this movie did it. So, the favorite, my number one film of the year. Um, so those are our top ten films of the year, and as you guys predicted, yeah, huge, huge variety. Uh, this is uh, that that was great to hear, like all the all the diversity and the choices. Um, but the the list uh, the listing is not over quite yet. We have a bunch more <laughs> categories to cover. Let's start with our honorable mentions, and I'll just throw out my honorable mentions real quick. Like the ones that you guys already mentioned: uh, Game Night, Avengers: Infinity War, Black Panther, um, and If Beale Street Could Talk, as well as Bad Times at the El Royale. All on my honorable mentions. I have a really long honorable mentions list. Same, I, same. Just I want to list them all, man. I want to shout out a couple of uh, of other movies that were very notable. Crazy Rich Asians. You didn't like me the second I got here. Why is that? There is a Hokkien phrase, Kakilam. It means our own kind of people. And you're not our own kind. Because I'm not rich? Because I didn't go to a British boarding school or I wasn't born into a wealthy family? You're a foreigner. American. And all Americans think about is their own happiness. Don't you want Nick to be happy? It's an illusion. We understand how to build things that last. Something you know nothing about. You don't know me. Didn't make my mm-hmm. top ten, but that movie just meant so much to me. There's only one movie in 2018 that I spent over $1,000 buying out a movie theater for, and that was Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> right? Uh, because it, it did so much to increase the profile of Asian Americans on the big screen. It did so much to make... Asian Americans into uh, uh, aspirational characters, and it also um, uh, was one of the only films I've seen that recognized the difference between the Asian and the Asian American experience, and how those are very different experiences. Uh, and I just love the movie so much for doing all those things. So uh, that movie is very special to me. Crazy Rich Asians was released in 2018, was wildly successful. Shout out to John Chu and the whole, whole cast of that movie. Um, uh, I really loved it. So that's on my honorable mentions. Uh, First Man is on my honorable mentions. Yep. Uh, this is a mm-hmm. movie that uh, I think there was not as much demand for a gritty, dark Neil Armstrong <laughs> reboot. Uh, that was mostly about death. <laughs> yeah, that was mostly about death. <laughs> That then, uh, then people thought, um, and it didn't do that well. It didn't, it didn't, you know, do as well as people thought it would. But uh, what I really liked about First Man is it brought to light how harrowing and insane it was to actually send people to space. It like deconstructs the myth of the astronaut as being like heroic, and you know, United States it's is like heroic, knows what it was doing. Yeah, but right? it's also kind of crazy in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it kind of reshapes the story into one about grief, which. Uh, you know, is a is a creative way of of telling that story. Um, 
and I think it it probably will find an audience at some point in the future. Um, but I I quite thought it was good. And then um, first reformed we've already talked about as well. Uh, Can you ever forgive me? Delightful little romp with uh, Melissa uh. McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Have you seen it, Jeff? No, it's. I, think, yeah. I, I want to do my list of movies I wish I could have seen. I have yeah. seven movies here that I was like, ah, I didn't see them yeah. in time. Yeah, that's one I really wanted to see. I think you'd have liked that movie. Um, and then the only other one I wanted to mention was uh, Tully. Tully, yeah. uh, a, yeah. a stark depiction of the rigors of parenting uh, by Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody, I thought uh, was really powerful. So, um, yeah. That's uh, on my honorable mentions. How about you, Devinder Hardware? Some of your honorable mentions and anything. Yeah, that we I've got a long about? list as well. Yeah. Um, Hit us. A couple that we have mentioned just real quick: Bad Times at the El Royale, Mining the Gap, um, and First Man. And I think First Man. You know, I was kind of I liked it, and when we reviewed it, it's kind of stuck in my head a little. It's a movie I'm looking forward to revisiting at home at some point. Uh, I do feel like we're gonna we're gonna start to appreciate that movie more as time goes on. Um, I also just love Damien Chazelle, so it's like I, given my love for his previous work, I kind of want to just give it another shot too. Uh, but also Suspiria, which I don't. Have you guys seen it? No. Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I genuinely love that. Like it's just a new take on a horror classic, but done in a different way, and I think in a better way. Honestly, we did a uh, a separate review here. I'm just glad I got to you know gather some folks for that too. It's a beautiful and truly weird movie, uh, Hereditary, which we haven't mentioned yet. Which is that is that is just pure family horror, isn't it? Uh, there's <laughs> so much else going on, but yeah, it's really about you know that it's about like regret and like the guilt families and especially like you know some family members may place on each other like there's a lot going on some unforgettable images in that movie mandy is probably the wildest uh time at the movies i've had this year uh, i'm Death shocked of... that didn't make your list i thought for sure it was going to be very high on your list it's a great movie i mean <laughs> if you guys i'm sorry i wish you could partake in the joy that is mandy that's all but also uh death of uh stalin Mm-hmm. which I thought was hilarious and such a bleak movie to see right now, like to have a black comedy at that area of Soviet history uh, and how similar it kind of feels to today. It's it's all kind of dark, but kind of funny as well. Uh, Sorry to bother you. Fantastic film. Paddington 2, so much joy. Black Klansman, Spike Lee back, you know, in action. And you were never really here, which we haven't really talked about very much, but you know, that's a, it's a, poetic take on like a hitman movie but i think it's done in such an interesting and unique way uh it's a movie i've rewatched a couple of times and just love revisiting jeff canada honorable mentions uh some ones you guys have already mentioned black panther um private life widows uh, a star is born made my honorable mm-hmm. mentions uh i really i really enjoyed that movie i love the performance from lady gaga and the music i still my son and i listen to the the songs in that movie in fact one of them is uh a song that we listen to in a specific when we go to a specific place to get dinner we list that's that song and he like asks for it and we sing it together uh i, I really liked a star is born um Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Was it was it the song about um, the ass in those jeans? Is that yes. the song? Yeah, that's the one he likes. Yeah. No, okay. it's the, it's the <laughs> yeah, it's the main song. It's the main song that they write that she writes with him. Um, <laughs> Tell me something, girl. You know that one. Um, 
I said Private Life already. I think he's um, a fan of Why Did You Do That, you know, in waiting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, a Quiet Place on my honorable yeah. mentions. Yeah. I, uh, I found that movie to be riveting and really well executed. Uh, really cool idea. Um, also, uh, I said The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Uh, which I, for a, while, for a while, was on my top ten. Um, it, I, I really liked it. Um, we talked about it on the show and then, um, Isle of dogs. I really liked, I had a, so much, mm. I mean, I'm a Wes Anderson. I'm a Wes Anderson homie. I, I just, I, I'm a Homer for him. Like, I don't know that his style, mm. his storytelling, his sort of pace. It, it just speaks to me. I don't know. It's very, uh, I'm a sucker for, for it. It's very nerdy and, and it kind of speaks to, to me, you know, in my aesthetic, uh, I have like a coffee table book of Wes Anderson movies in my house. That, and that movie is, is really far down that rabbit hole. And I, uh, I love his stop motion animation. I love how deliberate everything can be. I love way that, the way that movie is shot, the way the dogs are shot, the way it's everything is understated. All the vocal performances are super understated. Um, it, I don't know. I like it a lot. So that, that made my, my uh, honorable mentions. Honorable yeah. mentions as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I forgot to mention one of my honorable mentions: uh, Death of Stalin. I thought it was uh, very, very funny and uh, yeah. great uh, political comedy, uh, p- dark political comedy by Armando Iannucci. A uh, lot, of, lot of fun there. So another one of my honorable mentions. Okay, we have a lot more categories, but before we get to the other categories, I do want to ask you guys: uh, Is there um, are there any movies that you didn't watch that you feel like you got to mention? Je- Jeff, you've already mentioned a bunch of them. Uh, yes, a few of mine like Burning. I've heard is excellent. Haven't had Man. a chance to see Burning yet. Haven't seen Burning Leave no, for sure. Leave no trace yet. Um, Shoplifters. Shoplifters. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen Shirkers. Haven't yeah. seen Borders. Um, those are all movies that all these uh, weird names. All these all weird the names. Ur- all these pluralized names. Of the Urs trilogy. We didn't see any of the Urs yeah, trilogy. The Urs trilogy. Shoppers. Uh, Shoplifters. Shirkers and Borders. Um, so any, any other ones that you guys are like, Oh, I really wish I had a chance to watch that one. Um, uh, what else? Uh, somebody's mentioning cold war in the chat room and yeah, I've heard great things about that, but definitely burning. Like I'm, I'm yeah. a huge fan of like everybody involved in that and just sad. You didn't get to see it. For okay. me, it's uh, first reform, the writer. Can you ever forgive me? Uh, eighth grade, all you know, if Beale yeah. street could talk. Those are basically everything in our top 10 list. Uh, everything in you guys. <laughs> yeah. Top. yeah. Um, <laughs> Before we get to these other categories, I do have to say that uh, this is a shameless ripoff of another podcast uh, that no longer exists. It's called Film Spotting SVU. Uh, it was done by Matt Singer and Alston Wilmore, who are both still active film critics. You should follow them on Twitter, Matt Singer and Alston Wilmore. Uh, they've both been guests on this podcast before. Uh, but they used to do this thing on Film Spotting SVU called the Svoovies. And uh, where they have these like very kind of interesting categories for the year, uh, and so some of the following categories are directly borrowed from them, uh, and I hope that they slash you will interpret this as not a ripoff or a uh, you know plagiarism, but an homage, I guess. Uh, so here we go. Here are some other categories from the year 2018. Biggest disappointment of the year. Uh, let's start with you, Divindra. I think I know what you're going to say, but. It's uh so I actually have two. Yeah. I could I couldn't really narrow it down to Hit one, me. although first one is Solo a Star Wars story. Yep. 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 It's a it's an okay movie. It's a very bad Star Wars movie and it broke my heart, especially after seeing what uh 
what Lord Miller did with uh, Spider-Man. Like, just... It, uh, what, what It just kills me that we're never really going to get the sense of what they were doing with this thing. So, there's that. And I'm going to say it. Avengers Infinity War. Oh! Shots yeah. fired. Shots wow. fired. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's certainly... I, I think it's a noble accomplishment... Uh, the fact that they rallied everything together and like fit all these pieces and tried to, you know, combine all the little bits of mythology we've had across all the movies uh, to something big and unified. But I think it's I don't think it's a very good movie. It's not an enjoyable movie for me. It feels like a collection of set pieces uh, where we're running from bit to bit, where a lot of things that happen don't even have time to sink in. And the big the big finger snap moment just never really landed for me. Wow. Just because I think the movie itself betrays the impact of that because we have a sense of how not permanent it's gonna be. And also like I, I don't wanna spoil fun too much. Like I, I can, you know, suspend my disbelief a little here, but it it didn't feel impactful because we it just feels like we know the universe of comic movies. It feels like a big, you know, it's a big showy move to kill half the universe. But at the end of the day, you know, it won't mean much by the end, by the next movie. Like, I don't think it fully conveyed the impact of that, even though it worked for uh, many people. Well, I would say let's just, let's have a follow-up to that conversation after we watch Avengers Endgame. Okay. Then if you're like, Hey, in in retrospect, (laughs) Hey, if Endgame, the thing is like Endgame, I don't think will change my feelings because like this movie is still a standalone thing. It's not that's a thing. For, that's, I'm fair gonna, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I enjoy certain scenes from it. And I will enjoy watching certain scenes from that, maybe in preparation for Endgame. But yeah, that's the thing. Jefferson Kanata, biggest disappointment of 2018. This was a hotly contested category for me. A lot of disappointments in 2018. Uh, I also wrote down Solo, although kind of invalid for this category because I didn't ever want to see this movie. I didn't right, want to yeah, be made. Yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. not it's disappointing that it was that it exists. But if it was gonna be a Lord and Miller solo, like yeah, I'm curious that, who knows that would have been something. Um Baja, I have two as well. Uh the first one is the Predator, which yeah. I thought was gonna be tons of fun and is been just fun. bad. Yep. Just bad. Just bad. And the other one is the Happy Time Murders? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody expected that to be. Yeah, I, I think good. it's like we we weren't emotionally invested enough yeah. for that to be. It's a like whatever. <laughs> no, but my my disappointment comes from you get one shot to make a rated R puppet movie. Right. <laughs> you got one shot, and you you're gonna mess that up for a generation. Like the you don't get another go at making a rated R puppet movie, and you're just gonna you're gonna right. punt that hard. Like I love. Puppets, I love that artistry. I love the universe of like puppets and humans living together. That's so fun, and it could make for a really fun movie, especially if you get to go rated R with it. You can just do such. I feel like I would have made a great <laughs> rated R puppet movie. I would, given the chance, and so many others could have. And this one is not. It just ruins that opportunity, and that's why it's disappointing to me. Okay, uh, that's Jeff's disappointments. Uh, Solo and the Happy Time Murders. My biggest disappointment of 2018, uh, Adam McKay's Vice. This movie Ooh. is a disaster, in my opinion. It is uh, extremely self-satisfied. Uh, it has almost no insight to provide you about the events of Dick Cheney's vice presidency. And it wastes a perfectly good Christian Bale body change. 
it is uh, if you lived Waste through somebody change. <laughs> if you lived through, he put himself through hell for this. Movie. That's right. Okay. That's right. I mean, if you lived through those years, uh, then and you were paying even minor attention to the news, then this movie adds absolutely nothing, but is so smug that it is basically unbearable. So uh, I real like. Yeah, I, 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 I was hoping, like, the trailer was great, right? Like, that was a great trailer. Uh, really gets you amped up to see how uh, Dick Cheney ruined the place of America and the world. Uh, Again. And then the movie itself is uh, really just just boring and, uh, and, and kind of painful to endure. Like, I, I also heard it ends with a dig against the Fast and Furious movies, and I cannot abide that at all. I mean, movie. you're referring to a post-credit sequence that is uh, it, it, for some people people are saying like this post-credit sequence is so bad, it ruins the film. I'm not going to say what it is, but it, it's it's bad. I mean, I cannot recommend this movie to anyone. I think um, some people have been listening as their worst film of the year. I don't think it goes that far because for the, for the simple reason that Christian Bale is actually pretty good in this film, uh, but everything else about the movie, from the the script to the direction, uh, I just thought was really really unfortunate, and um, I, I did not enjoy it at all. So that's my biggest disappointment of 2018 is Vice. Uh, okay, now time to the more creative categories: movie that we didn't get. Now before <laughs> before I get to this, I was reading um, the playlists. Uh, version of their, the most underrated and overrated films of 2018, right? So this is at the site, theplaylist.net. And this intro is amazing because it's basically like these lists are completely meaningless. Don't pay them any attention. Uh, but here it is. Here, he says here, quote, this feature is the one that we call internally the give him enough rope piece. And let me tell you that many, many make ample use of the cord and noose. Sometimes <laughs> there are wildly wrong hot takes. But other times, just a fundamental misguided understanding of what constitutes an overrated or underrated film, no matter how much possible editorial guidance you can give. Past years include takes where indie movies that no one saw were overrated, or conversely, some gigantic blockbuster that made billions of dollars everyone saw and loved and somehow made it into the underrated category. Because you know that was the exact kind of choice that needed a little boost and support from the audiences. Um, and look, overrated is kind of a shitty term. We get it. It's insulting and no good comes from it. But we've started this damn tradition and now we just have to live with the goddamn thing, end quote. <laughs> so I read that just to say that this is an incredibly subjective category. So whatever we are going to say for the movie we didn't get, just know that it is within our realm of understanding and you shouldn't take us seriously at all. Okay? I also well, feel, I free, <laughs> feel free to fight me. Yeah. How about yeah. that? Well, I think that the phrasing of movie we didn't get it buffers that a bit because yeah, it's like yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, I I'm admitting I didn't get it. So other people got it. Yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, but but it's like uh, in, in what in what even that though. I I agree that there's a humility to that term, Jeff. Right, but even that like people might be like, well, um, like how, how why do you think everyone else got it? You know, like the movie made only three million dollars. You know, like that kind of stuff. Because everyone's and, dumb but us. Yeah. Okay. So what is a movie you didn't get? So start with a movie that like you didn't get but everyone else loved. Jeff Kanata. This is the easiest category I did uh-huh. all year. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it's Mandy. Mm. <laughs> I did not get this movie. I don't understand the appeal. I I do not understand how anyone could get even a moment's joy from it. It 
I just don't. And I recognize that I thought Vinger was going to have it on his list. I people I work with are like, I love this is my favorite movie of the year. So it's on all these top ten lists I've read around the internet. People adore this movie, and I don't understand how they could. I do not understand. It's just so not my aesthetic. It's so not my idea of a good time. <laughs> so uh, I did not enjoy it, that, and I don't get Jeff's it. Jeff's movie he didn't get. That's Mandy. Devendra, how about you? What's a movie you didn't get? So I think Infinity War still kind of fits here, but I will also say uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Ooh. which is – Fighting I, words, Devendra. Coming at my list hard. Yeah. I think it's fine. <laughs> but I also think the Coen brothers, it feels like they were sitting around. It's like, uh, I had a couple of ideas for Western. It feels like they shoved them all together into one thing. Uh, they're not really related. And I think the, uh, their, I don't know if it's their like mentality or their overall philosophy, you know, like they're, the idea that things just tend not to end well in their movies and there really isn't any rhyme or reason to it uh, is amplified here because that's what happens at the end of most of these stories. So it, it's kind of tough to tell. Like I enjoyed some of it. I love the opening Buster Scruggs bit, but I, I didn't really like the other sequences. Um, it just didn't feel like they were really saying anything. And um yeah, it just it, it they didn't really leave an impact for me. It just felt like the Cone Brothers were dicking around with their streaming money, basically. All right, that's a movie Devendra didn't get. Uh, that's the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, this is a this is a category, guys. I'm cheating. I have five movies in this category, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna run through them. I'm gonna run through them really quickly. Okay, Dave didn't get a lot. I didn't Let's get a. I, I don't understand a lot of things. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna go through these it. really quickly and like try to do like one quick sentence on each. Um, I'm gonna do this in chronological order. Okay, of the year. Okay, um, annihilation. Please let there be Aquaman. Please let there be Aquaman. Please let there be Aquaman. <laughs> annihilation. Uh, thought this is a movie like every critic I knew and respected loved this movie. I thought it had a lot of characters behaving in very silly and uh, silly ways and a script that was extremely kind of clunky compared to the beautiful subtle script of Ex Machina that Alex Garland had written right before this one. Uh, I I just didn't understand why people love this movie so much. Hereditary starts as a brilliant psychological horror film and then becomes a supernatural horror film that's much less effective in my opinion. Uh, Did not understand – like very well made and I respect the craft – but just that storyline, uh, I felt, really kind of blunted the impact of the first half of the film, where it goes. Uh, third film, Venom. Uh, this is a movie that wasn't super well-reviewed, but still made over $850 million. And I don't <laughs> understand how people thought this movie wasn't horrible. But apparently... I, I think there was like a bit of ironic joy with this movie, but yeah. Let's hope so. Millions of people didn't think so. Early December... At least among critics. Uh, Vox Lux. This, in my opinion, is uh, the worst film I've seen in 2018. And uh, I, I really uh, want to see this. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Um, <laughs> and you know, some people like, there's a common refrain of like, "Oh, well, if that's the worst movie you've seen in 2018, then you haven't seen that many movies." Yes, that's right. I admit I haven't seen that many movies. Uh, and Vox Lux was one of them, and it was the worst. Uh, really did not like it, and would not recommend it, and found it to be a painful thing to endure. Uh, and finally, Aquaman. <laughs> but Yay! I, don't, I don't need to recap uh, my feelings on that because we just did an episode. That's another movie I didn't get. 
in 2018. So, sorry, I know I kind of broke the category, but um, those are movies I didn't get. Okay, what's a movie they didn't get? What's a movie that like you thought like was great, but that like audiences or critics didn't latch onto it in the way you thought it, they would? Jeff Kanata, a movie they didn't get. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one because I don't know how you quantify it. But uh, I, the movie I settled on is one, Dave, you've already mentioned in your honorable mentions. And I didn't want to use another a movie that was already on my top ten, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went with uh, with Tully. Yeah. I think uh, I think Tully is really good and really uh, beautiful and kind of has something to say that's interesting and felt like it was uh, the right movie at the right time in a lot of ways. And it just did not hit with anybody. I don't hear anybody talking about it. It's kind of hard to even remember it came out this year. It feels like it was from years ago. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like because there was another um, – movie by the same director this year jason uh, Ryman, yeah he made the yeah, yeah. front runner as well yeah right so it's like was that even this year it just feels like it was forgotten way too fast for as good as i thought it was tully tully uh very good divin your heart or a movie they didn't get i honestly had a hard time picking one for this i will say probably first man i do mm, think yep. Going back to that movie, revisiting it in a while, we'll have a better sense of it. But I like your pick, Jeff. Um, I think some of Jason Reitman's movies, like uh, Young Adult, is a fantastic film. I agree. And I, I nobody really talks about it. It's weird how he makes these great little quiet adult dramas. And he, you know, he had a big splash of praise with uh, Gino and Up in the Air, and it feels like it's all kind of died down since then. Uh, but I, I wish people would pay more attention to these smaller movies and not just the big ones starring Hugh Jackman. Yeah. First Man, uh, good movie, well-reviewed, might still get some Best Picture nominations, but only made $44 yeah. million. Tully made under $10 million domestic. Um, so, yeah, movies that didn't resonate hugely with audiences. And uh, my choice is uh, another movie we've already talked about. Movie they didn't get, my choice, Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, that movie... Uh, middling reviews and the box office was not great as well. Uh, Seventeen million dollars, pretty rough for a production budget of thirty-two million dollars. Um, but I think uh, I, I think it'll find uh, you know a an audience on on home video. Um, and <laughs> it's a great so. little like cult movie in the making. Basically. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. It would be a great Netflix watch, you know, someday mm-hmm. or whatever. It's it. It's a people are gonna love that movie. It's 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 real fun. Yeah, and Indeed. also if you like it, buy it. You cowards! Like that's yeah. a wonderful movie to own. All right, guys. Now we're at the fun the fun categories. The final categories here. Best uh. movie. So we're we're gonna do most anticipated movie of 2019, and then what you think your best movie of 2019 mm-hmm. will be. Mm-hmm. Your number one movie of 2019. So most anticipated movie of 2019. It, we wouldn't be able to talk about most anticipated movie of 2019 without talking about. What our most anticipated movie of 2018 was. Right? <laughs> oh man! And I so uh, I will say that our most anticipated films of 2018, if you'll remember, on the Slash Filmcast one year ago, my most anticipated movie was Mission Impossible Fallout, mm. very, very on brand. Devendra's was Black Panther, uh, mm. also very on brand. Wow. And Jeff's was Avengers: Infinity War. So, on brand. Pretty right. good, pretty good. Like we you were all we, on brand. Most anticipated, we we listed those, and then we uh, and then we named. You know, many of those made our top tens. So all three of them made all our three top of them. tens. Yeah, all yeah. three of them made several of our top tens. So that's right. Okay, most anticipated movie of 2019. Jeff cannot go. I mean, it's Avengers again. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, it's a, it's a, I mean, there's a lot of really great movies. I'm I'm excited for Captain Marvel. I'm excited for an, uh, episode nine. 
Uh, it's got to be event. The, the conclusion to this two part yep. epic, I am. If I could only watch one movie the entire year, I would choose that. I just, wow. yeah. it, 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 you know, it's just, I have to know how this all gets sorted out. Uh, it is, uh, I'm very excited for it. I think the movie is going to be satisfying. Uh, and they have set themselves up for uh, a, a very difficult task, but I am I keep counting down the days till I get to see it. Devinder Hardwar, most anticipated movie of 2019. So I have four. And I'm, yeah. I'm cheating a little, sorry, but Glass, of yeah. course. Yeah. How the hell, like, yeah. are we not excited for that movie? Yes. Please don't let me down, Shyamalan. Um, Us, Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out. I don't, you guys are trailer phobes, so you have not seen the Us trailer. And who, buddy? Like, <laughs> I, yeah, just seeing that thing is totally amping me up for, like, whatever he's doing next. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If we actually get that next year or this year, uh, I cannot turn down New Tarantino. And one I think a lot of us have forgotten about, Gemini Man, mm. which is Ang Lee's movie. Uh, it's a sci-fi movie starring Will Smith. And I believe he's a spy who figures out he's being hunted by a younger clone of himself or something i just very, love it looper-esque right um yeah but exactly I, yeah, so, sci-fi movies starring will smith have never been bad yeah, but I, angling, I, angling, come on. I have inside information about gemini man um i have sources about gemini man that tell me that that movie is in fact terrible um uh-huh. so i'm actually very afraid of that but i i can understand why you put it on your most anticipated i don't mind you naming all those movies but i'm gonna have to ask you to choose one of them so that we can compare back next year um, uh, so is there one if you could name one that we bring up next year what would it be glass glass okay that that is actually going to be mine as well um wow. I, yeah. I list glass yeah. as my uh, most anticipated film uh, it, it, if there's one that i'm going to be like what is the one most anticipated that i'm not going to be embarrassed by next year yeah i'm going to hope it's glass right <laughs> but i also have you seen any of the trailers dave I have not. It's been so okay. di- painful to avoid every single trailer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've avoided so all the trailers. Long. Yeah, the trailers are long. Yeah, uh, but it's coming out in a few weeks, so our pain will be over. But yeah, Glass, um, and apparently it's going to be one of the biggest January openings of all time. Um, it's like tracking for a seventy million dollar opening. We'll see if that actually happens. The budget was twenty million, which M Night Shyamalan I learned in a recent profile financed himself, uh, like used his own money. Um, oh, damn. But, but uh, we'll see. Um, but I'll just, I also put, Devendra, I also put four movies in my most anticipated. Um, yep. I put Avengers Endgame. I put uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. put Glass in there. And then I, I, also, put, Star Wars. Yeah. I also put uh, John Wick 3. I'm actually yeah. really psyched yeah. for John Wick 3. So, but I think, I think we all know what that's going to deliver. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. it's a solid John Wick movie, it's not going to be super interesting, but it's going to be very enjoyable. Um, but uh, glass, that's the one I'm going to put as my most anticipated. So that's yeah. that's our Devinger and my most anticipated glass, Jeff Kanata, Avengers Endgame. All right, final category best movie of 2019. Now, I gotta, I gotta recall what our best movies of 2018 were. <laughs> Jeff Kanata put Isle of Dogs, which did not even make his top 10, although he did make well, his honorable mentions. Honorable right? mentions, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Devendra, uh put a wrinkle in time which uh <laughs> has not yeah. been mentioned since we talked about it <laughs> on the podcast many months ago yep uh pretty rough choice of indra and then i put annihilation which i put also in my movie i didn't get so uh, this is the hardest 
category. Yeah, I would yeah, say rough choice. Yeah. So rough. many rough choice. There's so rough. many unknowns. Yes. There's yes. so many unknowns. Oh, also, also, Jeff, you put The Irishman as well, but that movie didn't even come out. Last <laughs> didn't even come out. <laughs> didn't even come out. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, movie best movie of 2019, Jeff Kanata. Well, I have two, but I know I'm going to have to pick one. Uh, so the one I'm not selecting is Knives Out, which is Ooh. the next mm. Ryan Johnson movie. Yep. Yep. Uh, the one I am selecting, Devendra has already mentioned, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Yep. So <clears throat> I think it's always a safe bet for me to go with the Tarantino movie. I have tend to love his movies. Uh, so uh, of the stuff I know is coming out, I think the, the safest bet to have something be my favorite movie of the year uh, is a Tarantino. So very excited for that movie. All right, yep. Devinder Hardwar, your best movie of 2019. I'm right there with you, Jeff. Also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, snap, guys, because yeah. I also chose Once Upon a Time in epic. Hollywood. It's wow. going to be epic. Like, the just, trifecta. Man. I, 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 so I will say I also listed Us by Jordan Peele as possible because I think I, think yeah, I picked yeah. Get Out as my number one a couple years back. Yeah, you both um, did, I think. Yeah, and so Us by Jordan Peele is up there. But from what I've heard, it is more of a conventional horror movie, is from mm-hmm. what I've heard. I don't know. Um, I, I have very little knowledge of what it actually involves. Um, but, I, yeah, for Best Movie of 2019, I put Us by Jordan Peele or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, you know, guys, let's let's just triple down on it just so we all look stupid right. if that movie ends up being bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, How can it go wrong with that cast, with, like yeah. – I think Tarantino kind of diving into territory he's also been obsessed with forever, like classic Hollywood. Like there, there is so much for him to do with that movie. Yeah. And I think, is it going to be his last movie? Has he said that? Um, Supposedly. Like, like it's very possible it will be his last movie. I don't know. Like he's talked about, like I I read an interview with him when he, when hateful eight came out and he's been like, he has accomplished. He, he feels pretty confident about everything he's accomplished. Like he's like, He's in a good state. Like he's he's he has a legacy that he's happy with, and so like I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out on this one. I just hope um, he hands off like Kill Bill Volume Three to like <laughs> let's make that happen. Maybe to somebody else. But well, what happened? Whatever happened to like the Kill Bill like extended cut? You know the full thing. You know like right. you know what I'm talking about like the the whole thing on Blu-ray. Like I don't think that ever happened, did it? Never happened. Never happened. There was supposed to be like a whole like both volumes edited together into one film. That never happened. Like years. It's like the Snyder cut of uh of Kill Bills. Anyway, all right. Our best movie of twenty nineteen, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Tarantino. Uh that is what we've chosen. Let's check back in a year to see if we were right or wrong. This has been a lot of fun, gents. Um uh, it's been great learning about what your top tens are. Hopefully the audience enjoyed it as well. Thanks to uh everyone for listening. Uh, find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing uh, next week on the podcast. But in the meantime, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week, Devendra Hardware? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. Also doing a new tech podcast at nomortech.net. That's no with a K. But kind of on hiatus until after CES. Mm-hmm. Jeff Kanata? Well, just really quickly, I want to say, since we are sort of at the end of a year, beginning of a new one, <clears throat> that uh, I'm so grateful, as always, to be a part of the show, uh, to call you both friends as well as colleagues. 
Uh, it's been an eventful year for all of our lives, seeing Devendra have a new baby, seeing Dave get married. It's been a very special time seeing you guys both in person, which is all too rare these yeah, days. Yeah, so good. Uh, really wonderful. And and the opportunity to do this show week in and week out is a treat. It is one that I really cherish. And I know it isn't easy, uh, particularly, Dave, for you to sort of wrangle guests and and uh, get the edit and all that stuff. Uh, but both of you, I'm so grateful that you make the time and that we are able to have this conversation and uh, I'm so grateful for the audience for listening to it and making it possible. So I'm, I'm, I feel like a very lucky guy, and I'm excited yeah. to start a new year of uh, the Slash Filmcast with you guys. It's insane we're still doing this after all <laughs> these years, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for the love, Jeff. Love doing with this with you guys as well. All right, so you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find uh, wherever you find podcasts. I actually got an email. Some guy was like, you always say it's on 5 by 5 I didn't realize that it was just also a podcast that you can get at anywhere you get podcasts. Yes, that's a <laughs> URL you can go to to find the link. But you can find it anywhere you get podcasts. Just you know, search for my name or DLC. Uh, but you can also find it online at 5by5.tv slash DLC. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net and subscribe to my newsletter, DaveChen.net slash letters. Uh, next week, we will be discussing some Netflix stuff, specifically uh, Netflix's new entry in the Black Mirror franchise, Bandersnatch. And I think there's also going to be some Bird Box talk sprinkled in there as well. So that's what's on top for next week's episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out all of 2018. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks from the good, slide bad, it's the Slash Film Cast. For all the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up With The Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now.